In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Tom Sidlachik, and we've got a great show for you today. We're breaking down the smash hit of 2023 Final Fantasy 16, as well as the Final Fantasy trading card game. Joining us for the discussion today are the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. hey And the guy who hates Final Fantasy, Brian Camille. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Brian, First question, always got to queue it up whenever you're on the show. Did you play everything we are going to discuss today? Hey, I'm rarely the one that doesn't, except for one glaring omission. But uh, <laughs> I, I got up at, we are, we, are, we are now recording at noon. We were playing the game this morning at 10 a.m., the card game. I got up at 7.45 a.m. to finish the last mission of the game. So 15 minutes before I left my house to come here, credits were rolling. Oh. So I, it was like down to the wire. Did you finish? No, I didn't even Oh, I got oh, so weird. I got 30 hours into Final Fantasy. Uh, if we want to discuss lifestyles and the time that I put into caring for my children, we're welcome to do that. Like, I got a lot of <laughs> shit going on over here, B. <laughs> hey, man, it's not like those kids were magically created. <laughs> I do not know how to respond to that. <laughs> We are recording this on Sunday, August 20th, the day after the OIO Patreon party. How are you guys feeling today? Like Burns, you were dancing shirtless on top of the grill last night. I, I surely was not. <laughs> um, it was hot enough to maybe become delirious and do that, but uh, I feel perfectly fine today. Yeah, holy balls. That was a steamy party yesterday. It oh, felt yeah. like 100 degrees outside, like no joke. Yeah, I mean, it was like 90-ish, <laughs> probably feels like 96 or something, but I don't know. Uh, it's just luck of the draw. Things happen in August. Um, sometimes it's really hot weather. Uh, we have like a memorial walk for one of my friends. It's always the first weekend in August. This is the first time in like three weeks that it didn't rain during the walk and then it rained right after the walk. So for some reason, that first weekend in August, we seem to always get rain. I don't oh, know. That's wild. It's just the weirdest thing. But yeah. So I don't know. You win some, you lose some. And it was still a good time. I think everybody still had fun. Oh, for sure. I got locked into a, a bags game with the Helene brothers and my wife and I. And we were... We were honest to God. Everyone was like dripping. By <laughs> we're playing bags and like we're just wiping the sweat off the brow. Can't see you through my my burning eyes. Yeah. Um, but it was a ton of fun just to see everybody. It always is. Yeah, it was a good time. Uh, it's something that we do every year as a thank you to our supporters on Patreon. I do not take it lightly that people pledge money to support this show. And just one of the ways that I say thank you is to throw this party every year. We have some food, we have some drinks, there's some prizes. In the past, we've done some pretty grandiose grand prizes like a PS5 and Xbox Series S. This year, we just had a handful of smaller things, but uh, hopefully uh, I was able to adequately show my appreciation for my patrons. I think so. I won a, I won the art book from uh, God of War Ragnarok, yeah, and that, that was, was pretty cool. That was sick. I uh, spent a good chunk of time last night going through that. What'd you get? I got uh, a Diablo sort of metal wall hanging and some Diablo two socks. Nice. And I, I will wear those socks when it comes winter. Don't Someone give... told me to put them on yesterday. I was like, no, yeah. it's way too <laughs> yeah. hot for long socks. Yeah. Don't don't give them to Tom. He does bad things with socks. 
<laughs> well, let's set that up a little bit. Like Brian and I were once part of a gift exchange, and once, uh, once, <laughs> once, and uh, you know we used this service, and like you could suggest some things that you could do for gifts. So I'm like. You know, uh, I'm gonna put on my list Legend of Zelda uh, Majora's Mask on the DS. Like that would be that'd be really cool to get. Instead, Brian drew my name and he gave me socks with his face all over them. Time out. <laughs> there was a list of like suggested gifts. Mm-hmm. Man, I did. I'm not joking. Didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that explains a lot. <laughs> uh, my one remaining thought from the party yesterday. I should have drank more water. Like. Uh, there's been times when Brian and I have had some shots and I've been in a rough place after the Patreon party, after the Halloween party, having two young kids, like I had to kind of knock that S off, but with it being a hundred degrees, like I just wish I'd been pounding water. Yeah, I had, I had, I've not really been having many drinks since about March just to like, just finding it, it screws with my sleep. So that was my first time in like six months having a drink and like, honest to God, I felt like I was a little slurry on the way home. Kelsey's like, did you just have one shot? I'm like, I had one shot. I'm like, I'm very dehydrated. I was drinking a peach carbonated water. I hate peach carbonated water, (laughs) but like I had really put myself into a position. <laughs> I mean, you could have like dumped all the drinks out of the big igloo cooler and just like crawled into the ice bath. No, that's a, that's a fair choice. I watched yeah. your dad use the ice from in there to put into his drink. That's a man who was oh, in the military. God. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Oh, dad. <laughs> and, like we had another bag of ice just inside the freezer, like just five feet away from the cooler. Yep. That's my that's my dad. <laughs> uh, before we launch into our show, we would like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. If you would like to be a part of this party in future years, or if you'd like to just generally be a wonderful person and help support independent content, you can support the show at patreon.com slash OIO. That's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash OIO. Your support goes towards media, equipment, and other expenses. For your support, you get to you get an invite to the party with a plus one. Uh, and you also get to choose the game that we play for Game Pass games, and uh, that's pretty much it, but... Those are Things. something. You also something. get an invite to the Discord group. Granted, you don't really have to be a patron for that, but you do get an invite to the Discord group, and that's usually got a lot of stuff going on, talking about whatever games mm-hmm. you know people in the community yeah. are playing, and just you know, and then talking about asking for questions about the games that we're playing for the podcast, and so it's a fun little community there, and so that's another perk that you can get by joining the Patreon. Yeah, yeah. the FBI has only shut us down what twice now, so like <laughs> we're doing pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> there was that one patron in Massachusetts that, uh, you know, apparently, you know, was telling us all these cool things that he knew that were government secrets. And... I feel like I missed that channel. Yeah, that was a, that was a really weird thing. Uh, basically, uh, you know, government secrets getting shared um, by someone in a Minecraft server to a bunch of kids to impress them. This is a real story? Yeah, this was like a couple months ago. Oh my! That this happened. Huh? It was a guy that was working in like the Air Force Reserves, and for some reason or something like that, and had like access to confidential information, and so to make it, so he's just like, sounds like you're having a bad day. Here's some top secret government documents. How how low is your self esteem where you're sharing government <laughs> secrets with children in an attempt to look cool? Like you're hurting, right? I mean, I wish I was making this up. I'm probably. 
I'm not even embellishing it that much, but that, that's it, it was a weird thing. Oh, huh. God. Nothing that interesting, interesting has happened on the OAO Discord that I'm aware of. Not yet. Uh, but once again, just please support the show at patreon.com slash OIO. You can also follow us all on social media. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. Follow at hobbyboxburns on X and twitch.tv slash hobbyboxburns. You can find me at thompsonlogicoio on all platforms, although I think I'm done with X. Like, I haven't logged in since Elon Musk took over. He's kind of, like, ruining it for people, right? And, and I'm And maybe people like him a lot. I'm just, I think he just seems like a child and it makes me not want to use his platform I, I think the weirdest thing is just that like the you know the, the main page or the home page or whatever when you're scrolling through it there's just so many other like suggestions and it used to at least like tell you that things were suggested but now it's just kind of a mishmash of a lot of things um i still use it because um you know it's like a connection point that i have with a you know a few different other people that i don't really have elsewhere or that i do have in some other places but twitter is just the best place to follow it it feels so like for me what happens when you like post something at x now like is it still called tweeting even though the platform is called x i think they said something along those lines that it's still called a tweet at this point but I don't know, a zeet maybe? I don't know. There's been lots of people talking about what are they going to do with it. It's, it's weird, right, that this word is in the dictionary. You have your own word for what you're doing in the dictionary, and you decide to rebrand. Yeah, it's it's a strange thing. Uh, <laughs> the, you mar- also, the marketing aspect of Tom is just cringing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can also follow the show at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. We begin our... You're laughing at the paper again, aren't mm-hmm. you? Like, and every time I edit, I'm like, "Oh God, I gotta stop making my paper." Then I'm like, "Jeez, you okay?" No, I'm laughing actually at what's on the paper. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> I'm not gonna read that out loud. Eighth grade, baby. <laughs> we start our discussion with the final fantasy trading card game, designed by Taro Kagayama and published by Hobby Japan, Last Level, and Square Enix Company Limited. Released in 2016, the Final Fantasy card game pits players against each other with 50-card decks. You play character cards by using crystal points. There are four types of character cards that you're going to play. There's forwards, who are your attackers, blockers, and different characters with various abilities. There are backups, who produce the crystal points that you need to play forwards and other cards. They sometimes have various abilities. There are summons, which is basically a one-shot ability, and then there are a class of cards called monsters, which are kind of wild cards and do a lot of different things. Did I sum up the types of cards all right, Bernsey? Yep. On your turn, you can attack an opponent with one of your forwards or all of your forwards, and your opponent can block the attacker with a forward or they can take the take a point of damage. When you deal seven damage to an opponent, or if your opponent runs out of cards, you win. This game has a board game geek rating of 7.1. Brian, you've never played a uh, board game before. <laughs> Have you ever played like a head-to-head or competitive type card game? What was your background coming into the Final Fantasy trading card game? Almost, almost none. I have, I've watched quite a few of my friends play Magic. I was always fascinated, kind of watching the strategy of how that was going, even if I didn't always understand all the mechanics. And on Twitch, I still watch some of those tournaments. Um, you watch Magic tournaments on Twitch? Yes. Huh. Yeah, I think. The thing about magic I think is fascinating is just 
part of it is is how many people have i mean if you if you really did not want your kids to do drugs get them into some of these games because they won't have money for drugs like it's just incredible how much you kind of have to put in before you can kind of get a base layer of what's happening and just for me and magic i think it's magic is crazy to me the economy of magic right like how much value is in some of the stuff mm-hmm. Hobby, what, your your best cards worth how much you said? Fifty five ish dollars. Yeah, it, it was just pretty cool about just how like some of this stuff is more rare, um, and I I think it's fascinating how it is kind of created its own environment that goes back to the nineties, and, mm-hmm. and man, it's it's still so loved. So um, I didn't have a lot of background with this really at all, but the brothers collected Pokemon and Yu Gi Oh growing up, so I watched a lot of little kids probably not playing the game it was supposed to be played <laughs> but it was always fun so no no Bernsey, your experience with competitive card games so I, I played a ton of magic growing up and enjoyed playing the game a lot but where i always struggled was with like actually creating decks um, mostly because i would get these elaborate huge ideas of what i wanted to do that were like completely not feasible like when i was playing uh at one point one of the series that came out each of the colors had, had an avatar and then there was one card where if you had all of the avatars out um, and you played that, you win the game. So that meant you had to have an all-color deck. And so that was the thing that I was like stuck on trying to make work. And it's just like, ah, it's pretty near impossible uh, to really make that work. And so that's where I always fell back is trying to create decks. Uh, mostly because similar to like a lot of like open world type of games, when I see it's like I have all these options, it's sometimes really hard for me to make a decision as to, all right, what do I, what, what do I want to focus on? What do I want to do with that? Um, and so that's always been the drawback with competitive card games. Um, we still get together a couple times a year and do drafts of magic cards. Um, so uh, my former roommate, Lance, who you know, I, you might have met him at one of the Patreon parties mm-hmm. last year or before. Um he, uh, he buys lots of magic cards. And so what we'll do is you do a draft where basically everybody opens a pack, you take one card, you pass it around. And then after you go through three deck or three packs that way, um, per person, you know, and you, you'll have enough to make a deck then out of those cards. And then you just play games with those cards. Um, and so that's something that we do fairly regularly with magic stuff. Uh, I did do a two player draft with final fantasy trading cards. It's just kind of hard to do with two people. Um, and it works still with, with that as much as it does with magic. Um, but yeah, so that's the experience I have. I've played a decent amount of, uh, trading card games, or mostly just magic, but yeah, I thought that I'd played a fair amount. Then I sat down and thought about it. Like I played Magic back in ninth grade when Magic was new. Uh, I played Raw Deal in high school. I had a sweet Stone Cold Steve Austin deck. Uh, <laughs> they made a competitive card game from wrestling. Mm-hmm. You've got to be kidding me! When Magic exploded, they made everybody jump. They on. made them for every. I, yeah. There was a Star Trek one. I had a bunch of like Star Trek: The Next Generation cards back in the day. Um, I never. I didn't play with it because. I didn't have enough of them, but I really liked TNG at the time. And so, so yeah, they've made tons of trading card games for a lot of them. And most of them have died over time. Only like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and some of those have really sort of sustained the test of time. And there's, and I think with them, I mean, they're being tied to those cartoons is essentially what kept those alive, right? That's, that's basically it. Another media did it. Did you, did you buy all your packs in from Steve's world? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I spent a lot of money in Steve's world. What was the price gouge on that one? Uh, all of it. I don't know. Raw Deal was super fun. It had a great like momentum mechanic, which uh, tied to wrestling pretty well. The problem was I only had one other friend who played it, Duhau, and he's like, I'm not going to play this or buy any more cards. I'm like, all right, well, great. I guess I'll 
trade my cards back into Steve's and get one tenth of the value back. Or you just need one friend that has a problem and buys way too much of the trading card game, and then you just play games with them because they have pretty much everything. Well, not everything. I don't have everything, but... Yeah, well, that's kind of the phase of life I'm in right now, Burns. <laughs> I also got into a big arms race with Yu-Gi-Oh! with uh, Patrick and our friend Dan. Like, we bought so many Yu-Gi-Oh! cards in early co- college, and I just, I freaking loved Yu-Gi-Oh! It's, it was crazy that I, I had friends in college that played it, and then I had my younger brothers who were seven and was playing it, and I'm like, holy crap, this is kind of covering, <laughs> this is covering the entire gamut. And, and, um, and you avoided it all I that did, time. I did, I did. I knew that that one, and I knew that World of Warcraft would probably consume me, and I, I mean, Tom almost yeah. dropped out of college due to World of Warcraft. Yeah, so I just, like last semester. I had, to, I had to be smart. I knew myself pretty well. You were just too busy practicing on Gary to do much of anything else? Oh, good old Gary. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> So for this podcast, we played the Final Fantasy trading card game. Uh, I was drawn to this game because of the Final Fantasy theme. Like We knew that we wanted to cover 16 because Burns and I both wanted to play the game. We knew we were going to be getting it at launch. And they're like, all right, we'll do a show around this. What else can we tie to it? And Burns, you already had the Final Fantasy trading card game. I'm like, all right, well, let's do that. What drew you to the Final Fantasy trading card game? Yeah, I mean, definitely the, the theme. I mean, Final Fantasy is my favorite game series of all time. Um, and so... It was one of those things where when the game first came out in the U.S., um, I saw just some of the different card art and, like, the variation of cards that they had in, like, the first couple of sets. I was like, okay, that's really cool. So I bought a few packs, you know, and then that leads to buying a booster box or two or three, you know. And then I've sort of, over time, I've off and on kind of gotten back into buying things and out of buying things. Um, and so, but, but really, it's one of those things where it is fun to kind of collect and, and see... Uh, see like the different things that they do with the game and having you know started collecting it like basically when the game came out um, seeing the new mechanics that they've added as time has gone on has also kind of continued to keep pulling me back in from time to time and so so yeah it was really just my love of Final Fantasy that drew me into it and the fact that it was a fun thing to collect that isn't like weird statues that cost way too much you know a four dollar pack of cards um, even though you, you buy like hundreds of them, but a $4 pack of cards, it's like, oh, it's only $4. I can buy a few of these, you know? Um, yeah. the, weird... the statues was oddly specific. <laughs> well, <laughs> that was a, an oddly specific thing to say in that moment. Well, so, cause. <laughs> Do you have a hentai shelf? No, 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 no. But... I don't know. This sounds like a hentai so shelf. So it was a reference to, <laughs> for Final Fantasy VI, they made a statue of Terra on the Magitek uh, armor. Oh, sweet. And uh, it was, what is it, a 120th scale of what it would be in real life. So it's probably like, I think it's like four feet tall or something like that. Got you. It's like over, I think it was over $10,000 to buy it. It's like an <laughs> insane pass. amount. It was an insane amount of money to buy this statue. Impre- if you think about it too, like why put that much money into a woman repellent? Like, there's no way she walks into your apartment <laughs> and just, she just goes, "Nope." <laughs> it's like, oh no. Well, you you, you put a, you put a really fancy looking like blanket or Got, something yeah, on the top okay. of it. Something yeah. soft, and some pillows. Yeah, until you until you lock her down, put an anchor baby in, and then it's like. Honey, meet Tara. <laughs> she she's a magic user. Look, we can put live, laugh, love next to it. <laughs> that, that fits her. <laughs> Brian, the Final Fantasy trading card game was kind of a new experience for you. Having played a handful of games of it now, what was your favorite element 
of the Final Fantasy trading card game. It was, I really thought it was really cool to watch the synergy stuff kick in. And in the first couple of games, I played with the Final Fantasy VII deck. And you guys were great teachers, and Joe was very kind to me because we were doing three player, and he didn't murder me out of the gates. Um, but kind of understand. That, that kind of ended today, though. I apologize. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I got butt pounded here a little bit ago. <laughs> great times. Um, but uh, it was kind of fun to figure out okay, if I do this, and then this, and then this, and then how you can kind of build momentum. It was. It was really fun. And then because you guys had just maybe a little bit more background, it was wild watching some of the stuff that you were doing. Uh, we played a three-player today, and Tom basically in one failed swoop, we had enough damage. Tom shot all of his resources in one go, and he ended the game essentially in one turn. It was wild to see. Um, but it's, it's fun just to watch how each deck has its strengths. And once Joe figured out how my deck had strength, because I won the two... I won the two games we played on Monday. Once Joe figured out what I needed to do, he broke my deck pretty quick. <laughs> it wasn't as fun today. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, your uh, winless or winning streak finally came to an end. For me, the best part about this game or my favorite element was the synergies within each deck. Because I played with a Final Fantasy IX deck, and they have things where all the Final Fantasy IX characters tie together. I played Final Fantasy X deck, similar thing. All the ten characters tie together. I played as Shinra and the Turks today, and like they had some awesome synergies and one that triggered if you're kind of at the end game. Uh, it was just it was really interesting to me to see how each one of the different starter decks that we used tied together with the characters that I love from each game. Yeah, and the, with the different starter decks that you played, uh, you kind of had a little bit of an idea of how the games evolved. So, like, the Final Fantasy IX deck that you played was from one of the earlier sets. Uh, and so with that one, uh, there weren't quite as many really weird combos as, like, with the Avalanche one, which is one of the newer starter decks that came... Or the, the Turks one, Shinra and Turks one that came out, um, which is a little bit... Has a lot more sort of complicated synergies, kind of like the uh, the Damage 5. So you had to have 5 damage in order to trigger ability, but it's, it's a huge ability. Um, game changing. It, it, yeah, I mean, game winning is basically <laughs> what it ended up being, uh, and so that's some of the stuff that's kind of that's developed as the game has gone on, which is really neat to see that they keep finding those things and building on that. Um, for me, the thing that I like the most about the game is how the mechanics and the rules of each card represents like who that character is and some of the things that they kind of did in whichever Final Fantasy that they came from. I think that that's really neat. Um, yeah, for example, Titus laughs a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I just, I think it's really cool. Sort of like Vivi, you know, he's, you know, he's pretty cheap to put out. He yeah, only he does 2,000 power. <laughs> But he basically is just like a bomb to blow up he all the, of Brian's. He was the cloud killer. Every time cloud comes up, Vivi taps. Come on! But it's it's cool though too. Once you start to build up the speed of the synergies, how much more fun the game can be? Because yeah. like suddenly it's like, bop, you, it's one turn, but you're doing four or five different things in it. And and we had played a version here where Joe was the end boss essentially for yeah. against Tom and I. His turns are taking like six, seven, eight minutes of him going tap, tap, hit, tap, tap, frozen, tap, tap. I'm like, what is, you've got two <laughs> cards. Like, how are you doing this? Um, but it's, uh, how long does it take to figure out the shtick of each deck? Like, because it's, when you were switching so many decks, Tom, I was like, 
knowing that Joe had played this a lot before, I thought that was a really kind of bold choice for you because you're trying to figure it out kind of eye on the fly, right? Yeah. Uh, what I found was there's a lot of standard things across the starter decks. Like your backups are going to create some crystals and sometimes they'll allow you to do one extra thing. It's really finding the unique cards for each deck. Like uh, when I popped open the Shinra deck today, I'm like, all right, what do all my Turks do? Okay, and what uh, the Advent Children people, how do these people tie together? All right, well, I have an idea of how they're going to play off of each other. Let's just grip it and rip it. And you, you figured it out pretty quick that uh, that first game, like we had said, Tom was able to pull off a move that essentially well, we were down, shut down everything that Joe had. I think we had done one damage, two burns to that point. We had taken as a team five damage. We were two damage away from losing, and I was able to sweep in, do another five damage to burns in one turn. And, and then, then Brian did it right yep, after. And then the Brian just walked off. in with Cloud and just boop. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, too, it, it can also be demoralizing. I had I finally set up my team to like start doing some of these synergies, and Burns is like, okay, all of Brian's forwards are dead. And I'm like, come on! That took me like four turns! It's I mean, like, he brought out toast. Sin. Sin destroyed everything. Yeah, yep. so that was the end of that. Yep. And I had another card um, that could have wiped out all of Tom's forwards, but I didn't have enough backups uh, untapped to be able to play it before you... That was the difference in the game. Before you started attacking me after Rufus brought everyone back, so... Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's funny how some of that stuff just, like, hangs on a, on a nice edge. Um, mm -hmm. One of the mechanics that I really enjoyed was the push and pull on how to spend your forwards, because you play your forwards out there, and they're your attackers, but they're also your blockers. So, like, if I'm going to attack Burns with all of my Turks, say, like, they all tap, and then if Burns... If I don't eradicate you... On your turn, you can come back, and I don't have any blockers because I spent them all attacking you. Whereas if I'm too cautious and leave too many players for defense, I'm never going to... You could build up to a point where you could overrun me. Yeah. So it's, there's a really fine push and pull between when you attack with your forwards and when you block with your forwards. And I know that in early games, I was just too aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard because... You know, it's like any like any trading card game. You're beholden to what it is that you get in your hand as to whether you're going to be successful or not, right? And, and so, I think that's one of the things where aggression at some points can be beneficial, but then at other points it, it, it can just backfire on mm -hmm. you. Um, like in our game today that we played right before we started recording, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to be as aggressive as possible. Kicked my teeth in. And that, yeah. you know, that, but if you would have been able to weather the storm and I'm to the point mm -hmm. where I've spent all my cards just throwing things out and attacking like crazy, um, that could have swung really fast. And that's what happened in our three-player game. You, yeah. had, you had pummeled Tom... He had really nothing to attack or block with, and you had burned most of your resources. And in that round, we were, we were only attacking to the right. So in this game, I'm attacking Joe. I blew through almost all of my resources, which would have been dangerous to mm -hmm. me, but you had already eliminated Tom's ability to mostly hurt me. Yeah. And I was able to just take, what, three-fourths of your life kind of in that yeah. one turn. But you had, you had gone so aggressive at Tom that it just it it, it allowed you it, he couldn't yeah. take you down and it allowed you exactly to do that. it so it's yeah. like it was it could in that that three player was a lot of fun too so like it was i was really surprised at how much i enjoyed this i didn't think i would and i i didn't think i'd pick it up as fast as i did um and it was i would definitely play this again and i think the main difference if if you've played magic the gathering before uh the main difference that you have in this game compared to magic with magic um, you have to find lands to put out, and that's mostly the only thing that you can use that's your mana, to play right? your cards. Yeah. yeah. So you tap those for your mana. Um, 
as Tom mentioned before with with uh, Final Fantasy, uh, you have your backups that you put out there. But if you don't have any backups out, you discard one of your cards, and that gives you two crystal points of whatever element that is. Um, and so it's also this interesting push and pull between do I discard cards out of my hand to get points to play things out, or is it better to try to play it slow, put backups out, and, and be a little bit more, con, you know, conserve things a little bit more? Or is it better to just, I'm going to discard two of these cards, you know, one of them's a good forward, but I'll draw another one later to get this one forward out so I can attack right away. So it, it, it is really this, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of strategy, and part of it depends upon your deck as to what whether that's going to pay off or not. Um, part of it depends upon your opponent's deck, and then a lot of it still is luck as to whether you mm-hmm. get the right cards at the right time. And speaking of the right cards at the right time, you can have up to three of each type of card in your deck. So you could have three clouds, you could have three Tifas, you, I could have three of each of my Turks, you can have three Tituses. So like, you might have one in your hand, you know how big your deck is, you know that there's two more somewhere in there. So it's when you're choosing to discard those cards, it's how lucky do you feel that you're going to draw another one? Yep, and you, and you can have more of those named characters, but you can only have three of one specific card. So there's probably like a half dozen to a dozen cloud cards right but they're all different and they all have different abilities um or different things to them um and there's some like super powered abilities that some cards have where you actually have to as part of the cost of doing that ability you have to discard a card with that character's name on it so if cloud had a super or let's see one of the examples was Queena from final fantasy 9 uh you could eat one of the other forwards that's out there but you had to discard a queen of from your hand in order to do that um so that's where it becomes beneficial to have more than just the three copies of the one card that you want to play but maybe have some other ones that are going to reside in your hand to be able to, to play out some of those abilities if those characters have abilities that you want to trigger how many of these games end with you like going through the entire deck because we played a couple of games that lasted a while and I, we barely got maybe past the half deck. Maybe. I, I mean, I was pretty close in one of those games. I think I had six cards left okay. by the time I lost. So it can happen. It can happen. It's it's rare, though. Okay. Usually, so there's some decks that will focus or force people to discard or draw more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the more that you're doing that or cycling or searching for cards, the more likely you're going to run towards the end. Um, but part of that is a balancing mechanic from like those recursion types of things where you're discarding cards to draw more cards or whatever, which can be a powerful ability. But here, it's it, you know, it's it's stopping it from being super powerful because you got to make sure you make the most use of that before you run out of cards. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of synergies. Brian, what was this onboarding like for you, for someone who hasn't played a lot of competitive card games? It made sense kind of as we were going. A, you two were really helpful about going, hey, here's how you know these some of these cards interact. And I, you guys are always patient with me, and I appreciate that. With I was playing the Final Fantasy VII uh, deck, and with that, it really was based off of getting out as many Avalanche members as you can. Because what would happen is, A, once one is out in the field, all others coming forward, if one's in play, are now is cheaper. I think it essentially costs one uh, crystal to come out. So if you got one out, now you can start making some steam 
And then once you start, you can pair them together. And when you do that, you start getting very unique properties. And, and what we had found out, particularly like say Jesse and um, Briggs, when you put them together, like Jesse allows me to pull a cloud either out of my deck or if it's in my hand, put it on the battlefield with no cost to me, which just seems almost mm -hmm. borderline broken. Especially since he costs six to play Since out. he costs six. And, and what we found out was is that after we played on Monday and everybody else knew that... <laughs> Jesse got it. Jesse die. was <laughs> short-lived for this world. <laughs> Jesse, Jesse had raining hellfire. Um, but it was it was just kind of getting learning that hey, if I can get all of these guys out at once, if you get one out, you're faster to get the others out, and that is kind of where the magic was happening. Um, and then part of it too is just you know what happens if if you take damage. What you do is you take a card off the top of your hand, and it goes into your damage pile. Now you can have up to seven, and then it's game over. But if it has what's called an X ability, it will do something to actually happen during the game. So there are some that were very good and some that weren't. Um, but even when taking damage, you know, good things could happen to you as long as you flip the right thing. And that was, I thought that was a really cool mechanic too. It's like, hey, I'm getting hurt, but it still might actually create an opportunity mm -hmm. for me. Um, and so just as that went on and you were starting to realize, okay, the more of these people I have in, in tandem, you could overwhelm people if they didn't have enough time to, to rip your blockers down. Um, and that got a lot of fun. Fun is good. I want to add, I think this game can be very challenging for new players because yeah. while the core rules are pretty simple, like you play forwards, you play backups, and you have your one-shot abilities. Like That sounds easy enough, but there's a lot of synergies and there's a lot of things that tie together that can be very challenging for new players, especially people without like a magic background. Burns, how does that translate into the more competitive scene? I mean, so the one of the things that they always say with the competitive scene especially if you're buying some of the newer starter decks um you you can turn up since it's you know you have to have a 50 card deck there's no no ifs ands or buts about that it has to be exactly 50 cards you can easily buy one of the starter decks and play with them um and you would be somewhat competitive especially if you're playing with the newer ones um you'd be competitive out of the box granted people with more experience are going to be able to to do things with that um really if you're really going to be trying to play on the competitive scene much more so it falls into anything like if you're playing competitive magic um you know you have to look at what the meta is if there's certain decks that are being played a lot in the tournaments that you're playing in you want to have counters for those types of things um and so a lot of it kind of falls into that same type of thing of understanding what that meta is either building into that meta of you know the different types of decks that play really well or perform really well or finding ways to play against that and create like a new meta i guess um is basically what it comes down to and so in order to be in order to actually have a lot of cards to um build like competitive decks you know you're probably going to need to buy a good amount of different booster decks or start with a couple of starter decks and then build off of those with some of the cards or synergies that you really like uh, one of the interesting things that they that they put in that, that they started doing recently is they have what they're calling custom starter decks and so with those you get a 50 card starter deck but then you also get 50 cards that are included that you can use to kind of customize that deck so it will usually give you one color um, to basically use that color to swap in with one of your other ones. So for instance, I believe the Final Fantasy VIII custom starter deck, 
um, I think it's like water and earth or something like that. And then you get enough cards so that you could swap uh, wind in for one of those two elements. Um, and it all kind of flows together. And then it gives you just a bunch of other random cards that you can work in um, kind of alongside that Um to just sort of tweak different things or, you know, you'll get one other card where that, where there's only two in the original starter deck. And so I think those starter decks are probably a really good way to start towards that. And then buying either individual cards, if there's certain ones that you really want, um, or buying a bunch of boosters, if there's a bunch of cards in a set that you would like, um, would be how you would get into actually, if you wanted to start playing on the competitive scene. But they do say that you can just jump in with a starter deck and go at it and learn that way because a lot of it is learning too. It's pretty crazy to me if you think about how much we take for granted with the ability of the passing of information now. Like mm -hmm. when you talk about the meta, like in Magic the Gathering, when you were doing that back in the 90s, the only way that you were going to learn the meta is if you were there, yep. right? You could talk to people in the know. Physically, you have to be there, and that's really it. Mm -hmm. And now with message boards and discords and all this kind of stuff, that is such a more dynamic landscape. And, man, that meta's got to be changing quick and all the time. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing you see, too, is a lot of these games have, uh, like, websites that you can go to where you can see other people's builds for decks, too. Um, and, and so, like, having those repositories of all these different decks also are a benefit to trying to get started because you can see um, if you have an idea. So it's like if I wanted to do something that was ice that was focusing on freezing things, right? I could look for a few decks that have ice in it that does that and get some ideas as to what are some good combos that I would maybe want to try for. Um, and so uh, I think some of those tools also would help you kind of um, figure out you know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to build a competitive deck, how to do that. I haven't done that. I don't know that I ever would do that. I've debated about it. Um, it would be kind of fun, but I, I usually like to play games um, more relaxed and not from a competitive landscape. I've played some games competitively. I, I, so I don't know, maybe, maybe at some point we'd see what happens. It feels like you're pretty competitive with the avalanche deck today. <laughs> <laughs> Summarizing some of the highs of the Final Fantasy trading card game, uh, the art is amazing. There's lots of ties back to the Final Fantasy series. Uh, there's a lot of synergies within the decks. Uh, the damage system is cool because like, you have to flip over the top card of your deck and you can burn your opponent's assets, which for me just is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, some of the challenges that I found with this game, there's Dark Knight cards, which are a major pain in the... <laughs> Yeah, uh, Burns played those on me incessantly the first time we played. Basically, they get stronger the more damage you took, so yeah. I got you up to like six damage, I think twice, and just couldn't finish you off because of your stupid Dark Knights, yeah. so those cards can burn. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fair amount of mental math here. Like, you might play a forward that has a power of 7,000, which sounds straightforward enough, but yeah. then you add another forward that gives all of a certain type of forward plus 1,000 power. Then you play something else that gives you another plus 1,000 power, so suddenly your 7,000 card is worth... 9,000 and then Burns plays a card that takes it down by 5,000. Yep. It's like just trying to keep track of all of that. There isn't a great system in place. Like it's like, all right, I'm about to start my attacks. This dude's worth 7,000, 8,000. This one's worth 5,000. It's just, it's kind of a lot yeah. to keep track of. And maybe the biggest weakness of this game from my perspective is it makes me want to buy roughly 10,000 booster packs <laughs> and just like open them until my hands are bleeding. <laughs> I mean, there is definitely that kind of serotonin feeling of cracking packs and um you know and and looking through what they do and seeing all the art um so i i, I completely i completely understand that I, I it hasn't happened to me but i can understand how some people would feel that way 
I think the starter decks are an awesome starting yes. point for this game too. Uh, Brins, you have all of your decks nicely sleeved. Like you have a tremendous presentation with this game. Yeah, well, so th that's the thing. Like, so they, they also have uh, when when new booster boxes are launched or new sets, they're they're called opuses. They've kind of moved away from labeling them that, but so like Opus One, the most recent one that came out was Opus Twenty. So there's been twenty different sets of the game that have been released since 2016, um, and. Uh, when they have those new ones come out, they do pre-release events usually. And so at a pre-release event, what you do is you buy a pre-release set, which is, I think they usually run 40 or 50, 50 bucks. Um, and in that you get uh, nine booster packs uh, and you get a, it'll be one like special pre-release foil card that you'll get with that. And then you'll get a set of sleeves. And so some of those sleeves that I have, I've gotten out of the different sets. Um, so like the ones that are on the avalanche ones Those that's, cloud, sick. that's cloud with the, uh, the, the Harley Daytona or whatever the heck it's called. I can't remember exactly. Um, but yeah, it's him on that. And that was from one of the pre-release sets. Yeah. That looked really slick. And the art on that super clean. How yeah. many, how many cards in a, a pack again? 50. 50. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, 50 in a, a booster. In a, in a booster? Yeah. Uh, 12. 12? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you'll get uh, seven common cards. You'll get one foil, which could be anything from common to legendary. And then you'll get three rares and then one either heroic, which is H, which is the next level up, or a legendary. So it's like the old magic where you had, basically the, you had like the, that. the two alphas on the back end. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, uh, so that's that's how the, the boosters work. Um, I think some of the other strengths, synergies, like we talked about, uh, it's really fun to, to find some of them. Some of them are straightforward. If you dig around and mess around with things, you can find some other pieces. Uh, I think there's enough things out there now, and there's, there's plenty of cards in the game, that I think there's lots of room for creativity if you're if you're actually going to be making decks and trying to find uh, uh different things that you can do um but like you were saying trying to keep track of all of the abilities that are active at the same time one of the big knocks that is on this game and i mean it's <laughs> I, and i ran into it as we were playing too is there's some of those cards have a lot of little text on them and so it's hard if you're playing against someone to fully know like just at looking what that card does um and it's even hard if you're playing to fully grasp everything that 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 card is doing and how it's interacting with everything uh so that's the one thing that is just eat it a learning curve make a little broth put your card <laughs> in it rock it in fullness yeah and that, I think as you play a deck more often, you learn some of those things, so it becomes second nature, and you're not as reliant on that. But that is one of the things that's a little bit of a knock. Um, one of the other things, this is this is kind of a little bit of a random tangent on this, but uh, like like we talked about the art being amazing, and recently, I think in the second half of the Opus series, they started doing full art cards. So it's cards that will have full art instead of the box, the text box that has. Um, like an underlay of what the what the element is and then um, and then like a t an actual text box that's around that um, that'll be like gone and it's just the crystal in the top left corner um, telling you what the cost is and then everything else is just the art and then the text is in a font over the top of it some of those cards it's really hard to read the text mm. and in some of those cards it is really hard especially if it's like a dual element card to know what freaking elements the cards are um but they're cool <laughs> cards so i feel like it balances out but that is one thing that's a little tricky on some cards they've actually done it where they've 
put a little bit of text in the bottom right corner to tell you what the two elements are that it is. Um, there's like a Titus and Yuna card that's like that, but um, I, it's a sweet looking card though. It like, is a really cool looking card. Out of all the cards that we played, that is one that stuck with me. Yeah, um, and so so that's the one thing that is, is another like little bit of a, a detriment. Um, and just yeah, there's so many different like synergies to remember while you're playing um, that it's easy to forget some of them, or it's easy to miss it. Like when mm -hmm. we started playing our game, and I attacked you with Elena the first turn because she had haste. And it's like, oh, now I finally read the like third ability that's on the card, and it's like, oh, I needed another Turk out in order for me to attack. Uh, so it's like, well, well, uh, let's put Marlene back in. <laughs> even even when Tom decided to do his big move, the amount of cards that had to come out, the amount of damage. Yeah. Like when you talk about trying to keep track of damage, that's when you were playing the Shinra deck. Everybody gave everybody else like 1,000, 2,000. And it wasn't the same number across the board. No, I was yeah. just like, this is confusing. Tom's like, I think, I think this, I think this. So ultimately, it didn't matter. At that point, I had no blockers. So it was just flip a card, flip a card, flip a card. I got tommed. And then, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, you did. Brian, how did this whole package come together for you? Like, I was worried that you weren't going to get a chance to play because we had set up an original play date. You couldn't make that. I'm like, oh, well shoot this is going to be an interesting conversation but we were able to get uh two, two sessions in essentially yeah, two sessions you got five games in how did the entire package come together for you positive experience with the yeah, final fantasy trading card i would game? play this again and and definitely this is a game where you need to and i appreciate you guys letting me play the same deck each time because it it takes some time to get familiar mm -hmm. and when you guys are playing with different decks it's wild because i don't know what the hell you're doing oh brian this ha you could be lying brian you're frozen you can't play any cards and uh i get your cloud okay <laughs> slide it over like, um but um this of of all the games that we have played that are definitely card games this is far and away my favorite like it's not even close i mean the 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 bloodborne card game was pretty fun um i did enjoy the god of war one that we were playing but this was this was definitely the most enjoyable and and i can see why that talk about a cash cow if you okay. these decks man like if, if you want to build something out man to kit these things out is going to cost a bit and it was it was just fun playing with the base ones we had i had so much fun with this game it's hard for me to decide where to go next like i desperately want to buy some cards and start tinkering with my own decks but i really only have burns to play against so uh, it's a balance of do I allocate my resources to the Final Fantasy trading card game or do I keep buying other types of games? Yeah, I mean, I have plenty of things and I have like unopened boosters. So if you ever if you just need that serotonin rush, um, I don't think it'd be the same because like when you open your own booster pack, like, it's mine. Yeah. Like, it, oh, this full art card, this is mine. It's like <laughs> open up this thing for Burns. It's like, oh, Burns, look at this cool thing you have. Oh, it's gone forever. That's why Tom <laughs> hates other kids. Yeah, nope, pretty... not mine. Nope. <laughs> Move. <laughs> pretty much. Burns, what would you estimate that you've spent on this game and where does it rank in like the echelon of your board game collection? Um. So where does it rank? in my board game collection as to how much I've spent on it. Mm -hmm. So it's by far the most, I would say. Even over Aeon Trespass Odyssey, which we talked about last month being like a $500 all-in game? Yeah. Holy cow, Burns. I, I didn't realize I was setting you up for this. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's... it's. I mean, and granted, this is over... Because I started collecting this... I Probably... It was shortly after the game came out, so probably since 20... 
16. So it was when I was living in Dallas that I started buying the cards. It came out in 15? It came out in 2016. So I okay, think I, I started it when it came out. So over seven years, what would you estimate the total spend is? And then we'll think about that in like <laughs> dollars per year. Unless you're not comfortable saying it on the air. I don't, that's totally Honestly, fine. I don't know. It is a lot. Um, well, just for comparison, after our last show, the Elden Ring show, a uh, friend of the show, Adam Wilson, wrote on Discord that he had spent... His biggest all-in game was $1,300 for Too Many Bones. And also, thank you for being an active member of the OIO community, Adam. So he spent $1,300 on Too Many Bones. Would you estimate that your Final Fantasy trading card game collection was more than that? Same neighborhood or definitely less than that? Are we just checking to see if he's a one-ups kind of guy? Or, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably more I mean, it's probably more than that. So, like, yeah. like one of the things that I've done recently is I've put it all into, like, uh, a phone app on my phone to see, like, what my, like, what it's worth. Um, and so my collection's worth, like, $2,600. Whoa. I, you know, sure, some of the cards I have are worth $50, $30, $20 and stuff like that. Um, but that's not the majority of them. Um it's 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 hard to calculate. I, I would guess it's more than than thirteen hundred dollars, though. Um, just with the amount of booster boxes I've bought, the amount of starter uh, sets that I've bought, and just random packs outside of that, um, it would have to be probably more than that. Well, putting all of that on the table, are you happy with that investment? Like, how much do you love this game? Yeah, I, I'm happy with it. Like, it, like for me, it really became like a collecting type of thing. And so I'm just gonna smile at you now. No, that's fine. And and so it, it, it's one of those things where it's really cool to have the cards. And, um, and if at some point I decide that I want to, like, cash in on some of them and sell some of the the ones that are you know higher cost, um, maybe I'd try to do something like that. Um, but it's in your heart of hearts. Do you ever see that happening? Do you I see yourself it. saying, I'm done with this. Let me sell this thing. <laughs> I doubt it. It's rarely happened before. Like, even, like, video games that I know I'll never play again, it's hard for me to take them in and, like, trade them in somewhere or sell them to somebody. Um, so I doubt it, but it's possible. Who knows? Um, I mean, yeah. It's a lot of cards, though. I mean, it's it's thousands of cards at this point. Quick question. What is and maybe you know this. What is what's the most valuable card like right now in the game? Is it like five hundred bucks, six hundred? Oh bucks? no, there's some. There's some. Um, there are some like promo cards that I think are worth like thousands of dollars. Whoa. So it is like a magic economy essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's like these like really special promo cards that only so many were made of. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's other cards that are pretty rare still that are in like the there's like some that are like in the hundreds that sweet you know i none of them that i have like i said the one that i have the most of is an is an odin card that's worth 55 56 dollars sweet so that's pretty rad your final thoughts burns on the final fantasy trading card game i think the fftcg is is awesome uh i would recommend it if if you have an affinity for final fantasy i think you should uh, check it out, especially if you if you played Magic in the past and like it, um, and if you have you know somebody else that could play it along with you or whatever. Um, but like I said before, the starter sets are the best way to start. Um, but it's it's a it's a really well known TCG. It's pretty well renowned. Um, you know, Magic kind of sucks up all the oxygen in that world, and Pokemon is like sucking up about the equal amount of oxygen so there's not a whole lot of room for like other tcgs to live in and now disney launched lorcana like this week um which is their like trading card game and so 
it's it's unfortunate because when Final Fantasy trading card game was really starting to build momentum um, was like right as the pandemic hit and that really set like the competitive scene back a bit because um, I think it was getting to that point where it was maybe going to just start breaking in a little bit more to the mainstream um, but it's it's definitely fallen fallen back a bit now um, and with like Lorcana coming out especially I could see that being something that you know, just because so many more people are more familiar with the Disney IP, um, buying into that as opposed to buying into like Final Fantasy. But uh, I think the game's still healthy. I think they're still making money off of it. So I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a lot of fun. It's really great. I, I love collecting it. I love playing it. It was, it was really fun playing it again. It had been a few years since I played it. Um, so it was really good to crack it out some more and uh, and get through some of the starter packs, the starter decks that I hadn't had a chance to play that I've just kind of collected in that lull period. So mm-hmm. so yeah, you know, it's tons of fun to play. I'm glad we got through it. Yeah, let's play it some more. Definitely. From here, we're going to move on to Tom Awesome's top five. It's time now for. Tom Awesome's top five countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. For the top five today, I'm going to turn it over to Burnsy for a Final Fantasy themed top five list. Yeah, sorry. The, there isn't a really good like name that's easy to summarize. Um, so the top five is the coolest summons, primals, icons, eidolons in the Final Fantasy series with a huge but because I wanted to leave out the original eight summons because otherwise we'd just be talking about the summons that everybody already knows about, everybody already thinks about. Ifrit, Shiva, Ramu, Odin, Leviathan, Bahamut, Titan, and Chocobo was the other original one that came out in Final Fantasy III. Um, So what I wanted to do was I wanted to go through and talk about um, maybe the summons that don't get talked about as much that are still like super cool. Um, And so starting with number five is, uh, and sure, I put like the one that's the hardest to pronounce. Good luck. (laughs) Uh, Quetzalcoatl, I believe. Um, And then also, it's also known as Quetzali slash Palador. Um, So it's Quetzalcoatl in Final Fantasy VIII, um, and then Quetzali or Palador in the English version of Final Fantasy VI. Um, And the main reason why I have this one in here, um, you know, the five spot was one of those places where there's a lot of them that don't come up that often that are kind of lesser known. Um, And this one's in here mostly because of the Final Fantasy VI summon. Uh, because it's basically this bird. So in Final Fantasy VIII, it's one of the first summons you get. It's like a lightning bird, um, and it's useful. You, you use it pretty early on, and, and you you know you, you get your use out of it. You know, getting it pretty fast. What Quetzali does, or Palador in the original English version, is it's this bird that has like all these fancy colors on it. It swoops down and picks up all four of your characters, and they disappear off the screen. So any enemies that are there, they just sort of attack at nothing. And then, one by one, your characters jump down and pounce on the enemies and deal an insane amount of jump damage to them. And so, just the fact that like they're jumping into this bird limo and like... <laughs> and then slowly but surely, it's dropping each one of them down as the enemies are trying to attack but hitting air, I think is just really fun and really cool. And so that's why that one had to be... Um, at number five. That's very uh, that's very wild. I don't really remember it from eight. I don't. 
I it's been a couple of years since I played eight in our year of Final Fantasy, so I don't remember it at all. Yeah, because I think it's the only lightning summon because eight they didn't really. I don't think Ramu was in eight, um, if I remember correctly. I think it was like Quetzalcoatl instead. Um, I went through and watched like a two plus hour video of all of the summons in Final Fantasy from from three through fifteen, um, including fourteen and in the primals. Um, and so uh, I, do, but I don't remember exactly. Um, Exactly, that, but I don't think Ramu was in there in eight, so I think that was the only like lightning summon that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, so number four then is Carbuncle. Now, I think Carbuncle is one of those that's really easy to hate on because, especially if you came on to the series starting in Final Fantasy like seven and beyond, which to be a lot of people did, yeah, a lot, a lot of people, people did. Yeah. Like you want a summon that comes out, looks massive does something crazy to the screen and does a ton of damage. So what does Carbuncle do? Carbuncle comes out and buffs the party or heals the party or does something like that. Um, Carbuncle is one of the most numerous summons. It's been in um, most of the games since five in one shape or form. Um, And uh, so like for instance, in Final Fantasy IX, it's one of Ico's summons and it'll come out and do um, one of five like buffs. So it'll either give you regen, it'll make you invisible, it'll give you reflect. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's random in what ability that it gives you, but it's usually always a helpful, um, ability that it's going to give you. Um, but I think Carbuncle is also, um, kind of well known within the Final Fantasy series. In Final Fantasy 14, it technically is the only actual summon that you have. Um, because as a summoner in Final Fantasy XIV, you summon Carbuncle, and then Carbuncle turns into your Efreet Eggy or your Garuda Eggy, which will then give you like the wind aspect that attacks, the fire aspect that attacks, and so on. Um, and so really, that's the only actual summon in Final Fantasy in Final Fantasy XIV. Um, but yeah, Carbuncle. I think is really well known. It's represented in most of the Final Fantasies, and so that's why I wanted to put that one in at number four. It does sound like some sort of like medical problem, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh God, you got carbuncle. <laughs> I don't know. How can I take care of that? Premier Health, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the promo for the day. <laughs> um, so number three, then I threw in Alexander. Um, so are either of you familiar with Alexander to summon at all? I don't know this one. Mm-mm. So Alexander is a big kind of mechanical castle looking dude. Um, and he usually does holy damage. Um, and so uh, the reason Alexander was first in Final Fantasy VI. Um, but I feel like some of his summons in, in the PS1 era games always just look really cool because it'll just be out of nowhere this big hulking <laughs> castle monstrosity pops up um, and then just does some huge massive like holy based attack on the enemies and a lot of times you're if, like if you're playing against like undead or demons or something like that you know they're going to be weak to holy and so that's also a good attack that way um, but I think from like a design standpoint it's one of them that's like the most unique design. Like I can't think of anything that this was like based off of per se. You know, like if you look at like, you know, Ramu, Shiva, they're all based off of like 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 India. 
um, and some of their deities. Um, Afrit, I think, also is. And so, like, a lot of these other ones are pulled from different places. Odin from Norse mythology. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are pulled from different places, and it feels like Alexander was maybe one of these that they actually kind of generated in-house. I'm sad that you didn't make it further into Elden Ring because eventually there's like turtles with castles on their back. I think you would have really enjoyed those turtles. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah, you missed out. I, you know, I wish FromSoft would have allowed me to continue. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so yeah, Alexander, uh, number three uh, in, in uh, our list. So recapping the list, number five, Quetzalcoatl. Number four, Carbuncle. Number number three, Alexander. Number two is Phoenix. All right, 16 yeah. shows up here. Yeah, and so, um, and and I think Phoenix, Phoenix, Phoenix's ability. Phoenix in, is the best. Phoenix is always the best. I mean, Phoenix is really great. And especially in Final Fantasy 16, you know, Phoenix, I think, got a lot more of an opportunity to shine in this game than it has as a summon in a lot of the other games. Um, I think I believe Phoenix first was in Final Fantasy six. I know it's in six. It might have been in five. I actually I think it did generate in five. And most of the time what Phoenix was, um, especially in those earlier games, was going to be a massive heal and regen ability. Oh nice. For all of your characters. And so if you get like down to it, as long as you have like especially in six, that summon on the right person and they, you know, they can rise the whole party up and, and basically turn an L um into into at least fighting again. Um, and so then I believe I'm trying to remember exactly which one there was one of the games where Phoenix was the primary fire summon as opposed to a freet. Um, I can't remember. Was it eight? It might've been eight. I think Cause it was eight. eight was one of those ones that really went away from like the original kind of eight summons. Um, and, and kind of went in the different direction. Hence why Quetzalcoatl is in there. Um, and so I probably like birds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, and, and Phoenix just always has a, a really cool look to it. Um, and, and I won't go into it because of spoilers, but the representation of Phoenix in Final Fantasy 14, I think, is really awesome. Um, and so that's something that if, if you don't care about spoilers, um, like, I, I'd recommend people look into that a little bit to see, um, how that's represented in Final Fantasy 14. Where does it come in in 14? Um, not in the base game, not in Realm Reborn. Uh, it's in Realm Reborn. It's the raid series. Uh, like with Alice. Yeah. You yep. kind of started Big the first stuff. quest with that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate. The unfortunate thing about that is it's one of the hardest ones to play nowadays in Final Fantasy 14, because all of the other raid series after that are worked into like the different like roulettes, but because of how difficult they were at the start, um, and how tricky they are, you can't really just sort of like go into the duty finder and sink into a duty into a match for that. You really are going to have to like coordinate with a group, put out a party finder thing to get a group of people to go do that one. Ugh. I did do it solo. Um, I got through the first eight floors solo as a dragoon at level seventy or at level eighty, and then I finished it at level ninety, I think. Uh, maxed so I was able to do it and go through all the story stuff that way but uh, but yeah so that's definitely something to look into uh, quick honorable mentions then and I wanted to use this to just mention my favorite moments of like the top dudes so uh, Ramu in Final Fantasy 15 just this big guy with a beard that's like towering over the world he comes down and grabs uh, grabs Noctis in his hand and then just 
lights everything on fire with lightning and you end up back down on the ground and everything's dead and it's like everything is like black and red because it was just fried out it is like one of the like that's probably one of the coolest like summon abilities in any game like hands down for me the tough thing with the summons in that one too is like you weren't really controlling them no. you, had, you had to have certain kind of certain things needed to be met during the fight and like yeah. for Ramu it had to be outside like you there was one inside so there was one of those weird little labyrinth things when you're down underneath that I was able to cast him in because really? it was really weird because you see this hand come through the <laughs> ceiling and grab you out and then it shows Ramu outside and he's just throwing it at the top of the hill <laughs> but then you go back down inside and everything's burned and it's like alright I guess it still worked I mean <laughs> right. he is a huge god so we clipped through something right there for some reason okay <laughs> um, Ifrit in Final Fantasy 8 I think is my favorite uh, Ifrit other than in 16 um, but we'll talk about a lot about him probably as we're talking about 16 um, the animations for the first few iterations of Odin where the monster sp sprites split into like three pieces and slide across each other is just like one of my favorite uh, animations. Um, and then uh, for Bahamut, I really like the Bahamut's Coke iterations in Final Fantasy VII. So you have Bahamut Classic, which is your first Bahamut summon. <laughs> then you have Neo Bahamut, so New Coke. And then you have Bahamut Zero at the end, uh, which I just thought was funny to me. And then uh, Shiva's incorporation of the main story of Final Fantasy XIV Heavensward, I think is really awesome how they did that and how it like was important to everything. Um, and so I think that was a really good use of that summon as a primal in uh, Final Fantasy XIV. Um, so yeah, so I guess we can go back through number five, Quetzalcoatl, number four, Carbuncle, number three, Alexander, number two, Phoenix, and then number one, um, and a newcomer is Garuda. So Garuda is a wind summon um, and first started actually in Final Fantasy XI. And out of like the popular summons are out of the summons that we've talked about it's probably been in the fewest games well now it's actually been in more games than like quetzalcoatl um because it originated in 11 was only in 14 and then in 16 um mm -hmm. but i think garuda especially i don't know much about like what the summons role is in final fantasy 11 the first mmo but in 14 like garuda is one of the pivotal primals that you fight through in uh, a realm reborn and that kind of keeps coming back in different ways um and i think that's like one of the coolest moments the lead up to the fight against garuda as a primal um i, I think is really neat i don't um, remember a lot about it so you go you have to find you have to you have to get like the special uh, thing to mount onto Sid's airship so that you can get in to attack her. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then it's like the music. It's like the... And then it's like... It's like this rock music starts <laughs> and she screams. I don't know. It's just a really cool fight. It, uh, look it up. Look up that that uh, the beginning of the Garuda fight in 14 uh, specifically. Um, but then in 16, I think Garuda... She's um, like the opening hook. She's like the opening hook, and Benedicta, I think, is one of the more interesting is one of the more interesting characters. Um, just with like her path through her connection, she's kind of like this weird connection between all of the do the dominants. Um, like they all know who they are, but she's like intimately connected to pretty much all of yeah, them. Yeah, intimately. Yeah, and that's I mean, an. Like, 
apt choice of word. Yeah, but I think her character in general is just really interesting. Um, and uh, Garuda, I think from a design standpoint, just always looks really cool. Um, is she like a harpy in the other ones too? Because yeah. like in 16, she is like a flat out harpy. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what she is. Yeah. Okay. And then wind in wind aspect it always. But um, so I think that's really neat. And it's cool to see that, you know, you have like this long list of the, the mainstays that have been there from like the beginning to have someone like vault into that same pantheon now um, that was more recently um, added to the series, I think is really fun. So that's why Garuda uh, is number one. It's a great list. Brian, who would you have included in a top five? See, here's the thing. You guys have, uh, you, you're covering more of the abstract ones, and there really isn't many of the abstract ones that I can remember, because I only played seven, mm -hmm. I played 10, I played 15, and then I played, here we are at 16. So the fat chocobo is here on the list. I saw that. That's the only one that made me laugh pretty hard because it was fat so, funny. It was such yeah. a stupid character. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I would. And you I stole did, my thunder there. Yeah, Thanks. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. Tom. I wrote down fat chocobo yeah. for the win. Yeah, that one because that's the only one that I can always really, really remember because I just thought it was so dumb. Um, I liked for summons. I love Knights of the Round, uh -huh. um, which I've literally never seen. Oh, it's. I mean, it's just a billion attacks. Mm -hmm. But if you, you got to get that, you have to. What is it? The raise Black the right chocobo, chocobo to get it. Um, and then the only other one that I could think of that would also be up there. What was the what was the bondage creature from like Final Fantasy X? It's like all chained up to the gigantic oh, yeah. rock. Yeah. Anima almost made the list. Yeah, Anima was really cool. I think you said Anima there for a second. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Anima. <laughs> yeah, Anima. The first time I saw them, like this is kinky. Like yeah. <laughs> that one was that one was absurd. So no. I'd say probably that Anna would be my choice, just because it's so weird. Yeah. When we did the original Final Fantasy show titled "All the Final Fantasies," didn't Brandon list that as maybe his favorite summon? It could be because I think he did the top five list in that one, right? Yeah, Anima is well known, and Anima is only in ten, and then now Final Fantasy fourteen, um, and so it. it it, it, but it, it is a super unique design, like this chained up monster that has like this head with like teeth on it. But then underneath there's like this whole like chained up arms and then like a different sort of like canine head or something like that. It's a it's a really crazy looking mm -hmm. thing. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a yeah, that one that one was close to, to making okay. the list. Well, love the list or hate the list. X your thoughts at Hobbybox Parents. <laughs> Did I, did I say that right? Maybe. Uh, X you something. <laughs> X gonna give it to y'all. All right, guys. We need to have real talk here for a second. I got a real bad case of the carbuncles and some <laughs> serious summoning sickness. You guys know where I can go to get some help? Um, I think you could go to Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, carbuncle related and summoning sickness related injuries and more uh, I suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley Minnesota so you can learn more at premierhealthmn.com yep. that's premierhealthmn.com Golden Valley and Coon Rapids offices both have ribbons which can't be purchased over the counter so it does help <laughs> with a lot of the resources <laughs> Hugo Kafka <laughs> we close our discussion with a 2023 game of the year contender Final Fantasy 16. 
Jeez. Better than Diablo 4. <laughs> Disagree vehemently. Much like last month when we broke down the masterpiece that is Elden Ring from From Software, we're discussing the most recent title from another industry titan, Square Enix. In Final Fantasy 16, you play as protagonist Clive Rosfield, the firstborn son of the Duchy of Rosaria. I had to look up what duchy meant. At the beginning <laughs> of the game, his family is treacherously attacked, Clive is exiled, and forcefully face-branded to show that he is cursed to use magic without a crystal. It turns out Clive has a pretty big bag of tricks. Throughout- Jill says it's a good size. Alright. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, in in my experience, it's usually the phoenix that says that. But oh, Joshua, no! <laughs> Throughout the world, different characters become dominance of icons or summons for anyone familiar with the Final Fantasy franchise. While there is typically only one dominant of a type or of an element, for instance, Clive's younger brother is the dominant of the phoenix or the fire element. Hugo. Uh, Kupka. Kupka. Did I say Kafka when I made my funny joke to start Maybe. this? No, but that's ah, funny, nuts. Hugo Kupka is the dominant of Titan, the Earth element, and so on and so forth with the different elements. Clive, the protagonist, has the ability to absorb the essence of multiple icons. Clive can equip up to three icons at once and level up their abilities. After training as an assassin to track down his brother's killer, Clive goes on to lead a ragtag group of anarchists trying to burn the world down to, so a better one can spring up. So anarchist is maybe a strong term? Yeah. That's... Like, when you say anarchist, I feel like the Joker. Whereas, like, I don't know, it's Sid and company and Clive, like, they have... They have a little bit more benevolent, like, force behind them for that. True. They, they may be coming from a benevolent place, but they are trying to actively destroy the foundations of the world, which is, True. like, the definition of anarchy, right? I, I guess. I don't know. Maybe this is benevolent anarchy is maybe the word we're looking for. Because it's all about... Because their whole thing Benevolarchy. is... Like, Benevolarchy. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Let's get that printed on shirts. Benevolent? <laughs> no, that probably doesn't work as well, does it? Um... But yeah, because their whole thing is like so that people can die on their own terms or live by their own terms instead of having to be subject to uh, basically what the structure has said that they need to be. And it's mostly focused on like the branded so that they could have Yeah, it's essentially freedom. apartheid. Like that's what we're kind of talking about here. Yeah. Right? yeah. Or freedom for slaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Abolitionists. Yeah. 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 I know a word. Yeah. Yeah. You almost hit your papers on the table and you stopped yourself. Yeah. Good job, Tom. Haven't you ever heard of the Emancipation Proclamation? I don't listen to hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> Best line of that move, by the way. Yep. Final Fantasy 16 has a Metacritic rating of 87 on PlayStation 5. The core gameplay loop includes walking down some corridors, fight a whole bunch of weak enemies, walk some more, fight a tougher enemy, walk some more, fight a bunch more weak enemies, boss fight, cutscene, 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 walk around the hideout talking to people for story missions, peruse side quests and monster hunts, and then repeat for uh, at least 30 hours. I'm 30 hours into this game. Honest to God, you didn't miss anything. It's like this to the end, by the way. Um, They're... There really isn't much deviation from what you... T- that was pretty impressive. Yeah, no, I am, I am a master at breaking down games, Ryan. That is why a good 60 people download every episode of Outside is Overrated. <laughs> Brian, you kind of mentioned this earlier with the Final Fantasies that you had played. What is your overall appetite for the Final Fantasy franchise? I mean, I've been playing more kind of later in my life. I, I 
the first one I played was Final Fantasy VII, and that wasn't until I was in grad school. So that was like 2008 is uh, when I started that. And it worked out well because um, there had been this crazy blizzard in the Twin Cities. I was in between classes, um, and so like basically I had two weeks off of school. And my car doors froze shut so hard I could not open my vehicle. So I sat around for basically two weeks and played Final Fantasy VII, and yes. that's, that was my start. So it's... That sounds like a good time. Bernsey, have your car doors ever frozen shut? I had a phase when I had a Honda Civic, like any, if I got a car wash in the winter, they were freezing shut. And like, I remember having a job, I was working for Fairview at the time. And like, I literally had to climb into my car through the trunk. Yep. There was, there's been, yeah, I had a car that did that. I also had a car at one point where the heater stopped working multiple times. And so there was, and, and it wouldn't start if it was too cold. And so there were a couple of times where I had to... <laughs> take a space heater on an extension cord and put it into my car so that it would heat up enough so that I could uh, so that I could start it. We live in an inhospitable land. That is God. true. Yeah, I had, I had a '91 Grand Mercury where the water pooled around the doors, <laughs> and it was just and I broke my door handle twice trying to get in. Oh, so at some point you just give up. Yeah, and you play Final Fantasy VII, <laughs> and it's it's weird because like. You know, of our friends group, there's a lot of we got some diehard Final Fantasy like. Well, Casper, who did the uh, the Final Fantasy yep. show with us when we recapped and ranked all of the Final Fantasies through 14, um, he is a self-proclaimed Final Fantasy Bobo, and so is I mean Scott is as well. Um, friend of the show Billy. Um, I mean Billy was on the music show and and made the terrible choice to say Final Fantasy is the, like the greatest soundtrack music of all time for video games. I mean, it was like so poorly thought out. Like, I'm surprised he's back on the show. But, um, I don't have those kind Burns, of... Burns, is there something you'd like to say on that? Because I mean, your head just like exploded. No, because at a certain point... Now there's point... brains dripping down from the ceiling of my office and it's super <laughs> gross, so I hope this is an animated point. No, at, at a certain point you realize someone's so wrong that you don't need to dignify them with a response, so that's okay. My dad can <laughs> sing the theme song to the first level of Mario brothers my dad probably has no clue what final fantasy is that that is an iconic song when people who are not even paying attention to the medium can sing it to you that that's the one the fact that you guys chose final fantasy was just so nauseating you're, you're telling me if someone hears that that Everybody that does that or knows that or has heard that has played a Final Fantasy game. I can promise you, it's still less people than have that can sing you the first level of Mario. I promise you that. Um, I don't know. I guess you know you're giving me one example. I wouldn't say that as a whole the music in the Mario games is anywhere near as awesome or amazing as the music in Final Fantasy. Yes, because those are quantities that we can measure. Oh, yeah. But also, (laughs) um, you know, having been to multiple sporting events where they've played, like, Final Fantasy VII's battle music in between, like, periods or things like that. That would be sweet. I've never heard that. So, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like it's a little bit more mainstream than you're giving it credit for. Granted, not to the level of what something like, you know, the first level of Mario is. See, do you see how he did good. this, Tom? How respectful but good argument he had? You just tend to, like, spit and throw feces at people yeah, until well, you think you're right. That's because you're a big dumb idiot and your opinions are invalid. <laughs> Bam! And, Bam! To, <laughs> and to summarize, you hate Final Fantasy with a burning, fiery passion. Uh, they've gotten... But and just to finish my thing, uh, uh, I played ten. I played one, actually, quite a few times. My wife's favorite is one. And then I got to 15, 
Um, and then now 16. And I, I can say from, from this is, it's going the direction that I'm enjoying more and more. Uh, where they're going with 16, and we'll get into it, I, I think this is the way that there's so much potential with the way that they're going. Um, and I'm, I'm enjoying them more and more. Um, so, I don't I don't think seven's the greatest game of all time, but I can I see why people like it. Brian hates turn-based RPGs or JRPGs with a burning, fiery passion. I love the Final Fantasy franchise. Uh, I've played some of each mainline game in the last couple of years. Uh, the last time I bought a Final Fantasy game at launch was 13, which <laughs> gave me some serious trepidation <laughs> going into this show. And Bernsey, you've stated on the show multiple times on multiple episodes that you love Final Fantasy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my appetite for Final Fantasy is voracious. I I could play probably Final Fantasy and to some extent do play a Final Fantasy game pretty much every week. So uh, so yeah, I, I love Final Fantasy. It is by far my favorite series of video games of all time. Removing you 14, what's your favorite? Because Tom's is Tactics, right? Yep. Yeah, what's yours? Um, uh -oh. Probably <laughs> 6. Six? Yeah. Okay. Ten's up there. Um, I, I need to finish nine and play it again. Uh, I really liked it when I was playing it, but I never finished it because the last disc was scratched. Um, those are the ones that are up there for me. I never played enough of 12. I feel like I could really like 12 also. We could have compared discs on nine. Yeah. Phoenix said it was a good size. There's no need to compare. Um, I, I feel like, though... Um, 16 is definitely up there. Um, it's hard to know. I feel like it's still too soon for me to really tell where it ranks in there. And it's kind of similar to how it's really hard for me to like rank 14 as an MMO uh, along with all of the other games just because it's so different. And I feel like to be like fair, I would have to like rank a Realm Reborn with all the other games. And in that instance, 14 wouldn't be the best. <laughs> you know, if... If all of these other games had a chance to have four sequels of that game that basically built and developed the narrative even more, um, you know, they would maybe probably be reaching that. But 14 is amazing, so. Uh, coming into this game, knowing that we were going to do this show, I was in complete blackout mode. But Bernsey, a new entry in your favorite game franchise. Why were you excited and like uh what were your expectations going into 16 yeah i mean i i was i'm super excited a just because it's a new final fantasy game um i kind of fell away from the series a little bit uh in the second half of the ps2 and the ps3 era uh i bought 12 when it launched but i never didn't have a chance to play it much when that happened uh same with 13 actually 13 i bought well after launch um and then i played like the first few hours of it and it just wasn't you're like, this is terrible. All right, can I have my money back? It wasn't terrible. It just wasn't yeah, it was like scratching the itch that I wanted it to. Um, of the itch of good games? Yeah. But then when 15 came out, I bought that at launch. I played that religiously for a month and beat it. And I, I thoroughly loved 15 from start to finish, even knowing it is a terribly flawed game with a narrative that's told way too many different places. <laughs> Um, what had me super excited about 16 and why I had to try to temper my expectations is because of my love for Final Fantasy 14. Since the developers of Final Fantasy 14, Creative Business Unit 3, um, are the developers of Final Fantasy 16 also. That explains the, a lot. And the producer and director of Final Fantasy 14 is the producer for Final Fantasy 16. Um, the art director is the art director from Tactics. 
um, as well as some of the other games in the series. Uh, and so a lot of, and the main narrative person is the person that did the narrative for Heaven's Word in Final Fantasy fourteen. And so there was a lot of touchstones in it that were like, okay, this is like checking a lot of the boxes of things that I really enjoy from the series. Um, I was a little trepidatious and interested to see how the combat was going to be because that's like the big departure, um, you know, that is, you know, divisive for some fans. Uh, I was open to it because Final Fantasy's always changed the combat system and, and evolved something from game to game to game. And so this was just what it was for this one. It's like they put together a Final Fantasy dream team for this mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. We'll have to see if it earned a gold medal or if it fell, if it stumbled to a bronze. <laughs> when are they going to put these people on McDonald's cups? I'd buy a uh, Clive Rosfield McDonald's cup, <laughs> a Wyvern cup. Yeah. That'd he, be pretty rad. He's pretty much Grimace, isn't he? Same kind of build. I mean, they really look... Nothing can defeat the Grimace. No. <laughs> this, I mean, your eyes were serious. <laughs> something makes... Something makes your nothing makes your high C orange taste as good as to when you're drinking it out of a Charles Barkley cup. That's all I'm saying. The round know? the round mound of rebound. <laughs> <laughs> round mound of rebound. <laughs> um, but it's when you were talking about that that the the combat the combat of this game that's what actually enticed me. Particularly knowing that mm -hmm. Devil May Cry had a lot of influence on it. Mm -hmm. um, I will say the one thing I do respect about Final Fantasy is, like you just said, they are always willing to tweak what they're doing. Um, like when they brought on the Gambit system, mm -hmm. like it was such it was a big departure. Mm -hmm. And like yes, they stuck with turn based, and they could have just stayed on it. I mean, that's essentially what Dragon Warrior is doing, right? Or Dragon Quest? Yeah. They're still doing turn based. Yeah. Here we are. 30 years later um but they keep tweaking and keep playing with it and you could kind of get the hints of this when we were playing final fantasy 7 the remake mm -hmm. and now this is like clearly the next step in in the way that they want to go with it yeah and this was some of the most fun combat this this did this guy did this give you guys a lot of the feel to almost god of war like because the runic attacks and the icons aren't really all that far mm -hmm. off. And that's what I kind of kept thinking back to. Them. Like, this kind of feels like God of War. And the over-the-shoulder kind yeah. of follow, following Clive most of the time. Mm -hmm. And No, I, I, I do. It's it's very much in that vein um, from, from, like, how the gameplay is, the storytelling. Uh, I think they definitely were leaning into experiences like that when they, when they were developing the game. Um, and that was one of the things before even they hired the combat designer from Devil May Cry series um, to be on this game. They decided at that point that they wanted to do an action combat game. And uh, the designer actually thought he was being hired on to the Final Fantasy 14 team when he was interviewing because, you know, it was just one of his friends that worked at Square Enix knew that he was looking for something different. And so then that's what he was reaching out to. And he didn't know at that point that they were trying to develop the new Final Fantasy and that it was going to be an action combat game. And so then they're like, okay, hey, this is perfect. This is what we've been working on so far. How would you make this better? <laughs> and, you know, that, then they got to work. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's super it's super neat how that all kind of fell together um, to define the game and move it in the direction that it went in. One thing I should have set up when we started this part of the conversation, this is going to start spoiler free. We will yep. give very, this is a brand new game. We will be very clear when we get into anything spoilery. So if you're still listening to this point, uh, we will be very clear before we reveal any spoilery type stuff. With that being said, Brian, 
where does the combat system rank against other the other Final Fantasy systems that you've played? This is my favorite. Um, I really liked 15 too, but 15 it almost felt like you were kind of guiding the characters more than you were actually controlling the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of felt that way a little bit in Final Fantasy VII the remake as well. And for clarification, if someone hasn't played 15, you play the main protagonist Noctis, and you're always controlling Noctis, but you have three party members with you too that you give some level of direction to. I'm a little fuzzy. Yep. It's been a while since I played 15. And you can do like connected attacks with them if you set things up correctly. Um, I think there was a patch that was put in at some point you can unlock where you can switch to the different party members and control them also. Mm. But otherwise, yeah, you're mostly controlling Noctis in that. And it's not like it's not it's still kind of you're just still doing one attack there's no combos there's no anything like that so it's kind of like an action light rpg um and you're still mostly based in your command menu where you're determining what abilities to do um your big thing with that that made it a little bit more like an action game was that you would switch between your armagers your different arms uh, to do different attacks with, like, you know, switch to a lance because mm-hmm. it's these these enemies are weak <clears throat> against that, um, or switch to this type of sword. Um, that was kind of the big difference in um, 15. Um, and so now in 16, you're playing as Clive. Yep. You have a sword. You're never changing out your type of equipment. You have a couple of accessories that you can equip that will tie to different abilities. And then you have three sets of iconic abilities that you can equip, two abilities from each icon that you encounter throughout the game yeah and the icons are actually not that far off of the arms really i mean that's if you're switching out the style of how you're playing mm-hmm. um and the cool part was is this game really allowed you a lot of freedom in the ability to swap out how you're approaching it because mm-hmm. you can put ability points into these icons to either unlock additional icon abilities you can only have two at a given time for that element plus the base one that you get that's like the yep. special ability so like, like for the phoenix button. yeah is the phoenix shift where you, um, dash. you dash towards the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, Garuda's is like a grapple where you pull things towards you if they're small enough. Um, or you can use it to topple bigger enemies when you get them to partial stagger. Yeah, and, and they all kind of have a, a cool little shtick to it. Ramu's was just kind of okay. I loved Shiva's. Mm-hmm. You kind of like skate and kind of you can freeze things in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but the game lets you if if say you you put all these points into unlock greater amounts say for fire so the, the I guess it would be the phoenix one yeah um, and you do that and then what happens is if you unlock a new one and you're like oh these are cool ones I want to try it, it you are allowed to reset all those ability points for no cost yeah. free just, respect that's that's wild that's awesome and yeah. can, and. The cool part, too, is, is that if you master them up twice, you can then do what's called, well, mastering the, the ability, yep. which then allows you to place it in any one of the icons that you want to. Yep. So you can start cross-classing. Oh, um, I didn't realize that was a benefit of that's mastering. That's what it does. Oh, yeah. you didn't. No. Oh, that unlocks like a whole different world to the combat. Oh, yeah. yeah. So in the middle of this game, like I had been using the same abilities literally the entire game. I used the flame uppercut. I was using the cyclone uh, when I, after taking down Garuda. I was using gouge and uh, uh, wicked wheel, I think, yeah. is mm-hmm. the one that you default with. And like You're midway through the, the big game. Ones. Never went for the big ones, huh? And not until midway through the game when I'm like, you know what? I've been using these the entire time. My playtime is running short, so I just unspacked. I did the, I reset everything, and they they have a button for recommended. So I tried that. And I'm like, oh, well, this is really crappy. Like I I regret this decision. When you did recommended, how did it respect? Yeah, it? how does that work? Um, it seemed it didn't do the heaviest abilities, and it didn't. 
here is the kicker for me. It didn't slot in your best abilities into your spots. It's whatever you had equipped before was still oh, in your okay. spots. So like okay. I was, I started using one win for a while and having the second spot blank because I'm like, oh, well, I guess they didn't put any points into a second <laughs> win ability. <laughs> so uh, a recommendation against unspending all your points 60% of the way through the game and then doing the recommended build, the recommended, uh, maybe there's some benefits to it. But after doing that for a while, I'm like, well, this is dumb and I hate this. Yeah. So I un unspecced again, and this time I dumped all of my points into the lightning abilities because I hadn't done any of the bigger abilities. So oh, I yeah. mastered the uh, judgment bolt, oh, for Rambo, yeah. which was awesome. And uh, then I found a trinket that reduced the cooldown by nine seconds. I'm like, all right, well, I'll just spam this ability as frequently as possible. And, and that's what I did with the fire. The Is it the, the rebirth? Yeah. Um, it basically, the, the phoenix wings pop out and you create this gigantic kind of like aoe attack and when it comes to like fighting trash you can kill all of them in one burst and that when we're talking about the talismans each talisman in the game a lot of them are just for specific uh icon abilities it reduces that one by 22 seconds right i'm just like okay this is awfully helpful um so that i thought was just it was a lot of cool how you could just completely build it the way you wanted to be the icon abilities were definitely cool and interesting. You got to upgrade them with ability points that you earned in each combat. Burns, did you feel limited at all by only having two of each icon ability? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Um, because it, it made you it made you have to make choices and, and it made you have to be cognizant about what it is that you wanted to do with each ability. Um, and there's certain fights where certain abilities are pointless. Like, for instance, one of my favorite one of my favorite abilities was Ifrit's uh, ignition ability. Um, and so basically, once you trigger it, you shoot forward in a straight or in a line, and you you choose where you're going, and you hit like every enemy in there and pick them up, and they keep dragging along with you, and you're doing damage like every second while they're in like that. And then when you stop, it like blows up and does extra damage. I mean, those are that's an okay ability to do against something big when you have them staggered. But otherwise, it's kind of pointless. I never used that once. Oh, I Me use neither. that all the time. That was that's well, that's one of my favorite abilities. Um, it, but like I said, in some of those battles when you're against one dude, it's not as useful. And so it, it's one of those things where having like a balance between what you need against large amounts of enemies and what you need against like one bigger enemy, mm -hmm. uh, you really need to think about how you have those loadouts on there. Yep. Um, and then like mastering abilities of things that you know you want to plug into other icons um so it's like for instance i think the first one i did that with was like the uppercut for phoenix um the phoenix rising the phoenix rising yeah mm -hmm. um because i like that ability but i really didn't like once i had the upgraded dash like that you just have manually on on clive mm -hmm. like sure you could go a little bit a little bit you know, closer to the enemy or you didn't have to be as close to the enemy to get there with the Phoenix dash. Um, but it's like, I don't need to have Phoenix equipped then if I just do this. And I mastered the ignition ability also. So then it can go on any icon, not just on the Phoenix. Uh, and so basically I had those two there and then I was swapping between as I would get icons, different ones, and then plugging those abilities in. Um, I used Gouge a lot because... It's hard to get away from Gouge. It's just it's so It's effective. really good at staggering until you get something else that does a lot of stagger damage. Um, you know, it's it's just nice to have. 
Um, I use Titan's wind-up ability a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing about the thing about the combat system that is good is that it it gives you a wide amount of play styles that you can kind of choose from, and then you can you can spec into different ones. If you don't like it, no penalty swap it to something different um you know if you really don't jive with one of the icons you know take all your points out of it and then just spec it towards the other things that you want to do more often because it's expensive like some of these particularly like the big moves you're spending five thousand on one playthrough you cannot unlock all of them Mm-hmm. You can't you can't unlock everything and master everything until you're on New Game Plus in Final yep. Fantasy mode. Um, there's there's no way there's no way to do it otherwise, and so you have to be thinking about why it is that you're equipping the different things um, and which icons that you're using for their specific ability, because that's the only way to get their iconic ability. Um, so like the Phoenix Dash or the Garuda Pull mm-hmm. um, or or uh, Mega Flare for Bahamut. Oh, love it. Um, the, the only way you can have those is if you have them equipped. You can't do those otherwise. One of the reasons that I didn't get into messing around with the abilities and loadouts is because this game was very easy. Like I didn't feel a need really to change out a lot of the abilities. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest hindrances in this experience because overall like i love the ride and i Mm -hmm. love the story and i thought it was a very polished experience but like just walking down the corridor slay a bunch of little mobs it's like i didn't need to think about my loadout think about my equipment think about the abilities the tools that i had in my toolbox outside of like the big boss fights uh i just i felt like that was a major shortcoming in the game and since we were talking about the different iconic abilities i thought this was the right time to bring it up are you guys aligned was this an easy game for babies, yeah. like Elden Ring. Well, can a so how it works is you are always you're almost always kind of locked on to say the big baddie that you're fighting. We'll go that way. Um, and when you hit R one, R one allows you to do a dodge. Now the dodge window for the most part is pretty forgiving, mm-hmm. um, especially and, if you just spam it forever. Like oh, there doesn't seem to be a penalty. Oh, like yeah. I dodged one hundred million billion times in thirty yep. hours. And there is a there's a ring that you can get through doing some side quests called the Berserker Ring, where when you do a dodge, mm-hmm. it allows you to come in with a flaming sword and do extra damage, and it you can shred things. Mm-hmm. So the two things that we didn't discuss down combat was a the dodge, and then b is Torgal, which is your dog, and and you yeah. can manipulate Torgal to be doing attacks, healing you a little bit, things like that. Um, but like Tom said, they're, for the most part, even on the hardest difficulty, which is n- not all that challenging, the only time, I died a couple times only. One of them was, I was level 35, I was fighting a level 40 or 45 S rank hunt, mm-hmm. and I died twice on that. But even then, if you die, it brings you back with all of your items restocked, which yeah. is kind of a weird thing too. So like, I'm now playing it in Final Fantasy mode. On New Game Plus this morning, I started that, so I'm hoping that it's even a little bit harder. But it, it really was not challenging. And I don't want to say this like, oh, well, we played Elden Ring, so it's not very challenging. I mean, in general, I mean, this mm-hmm. was even substantially easier than God of War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think... So, like, the thing... Because we talked about that a lot on stream. Because that's been a lot of the conversation around this game just in general is that it's overall like easy well let me put it put it to you this way burns does it matter that it's easy like did that deter from the experience well so and when you look at final fantasy games in general would you say any final fantasy game is hard optional Um, stuff is optional stuff but that's That's like your hunts here yeah like there's not like 
I mean, there's times when you get to an end boss and you wipe to them a couple of times and you got to, like, figure out the right way to do it. Some of the older ones, you can get yourself into a corner and screw yourself. And there's some grindy with the old ones. Yes. Like, I guess that's... The old ones, they seem like there are times when they made you work for it a bit yes. more. And that is that is something that I missed in this game. Yeah. So, I, I, think, I think that's, like, what it comes down to is... Do... Do... Do you really need something like that in order to make the game a better game? Um, one of the things I would say, because I know you brought up, um, and you had mentioned it also in the show notes about how there's no like, there's no like harm in dying because you just get your your items restocked. Um, I guess my question to that is. Like, does there need to be a ton of punishment in dying? Like, what does that actually serve uh, if you die and then you start off back at the hideaway and you got to, like, go talk to the person again to start the quest and go back through? Like, what does that add to the game experience, giving you that as a consequence of dying? Or doing what it does and you just try to get better and go and attack it in a different way? Good point. And that's that's a fair point. I think with how much ability the game gives you to heal yourself, by the end of the game, you can have up to eight healing yep. potions, up to five high potions. Yep. It's really, there really isn't anything in this game that hits hard enough where you're going to chew through most of your stuff. Like, it's, I accidentally wound up going in towards some of the end game stuff with two potions and two high potions, and I still got through. Mm -hmm. um, you guys ever go into a battle and think that you had Torgal equipped and yes. realize you're just burning through potions? Yeah, so you gotta, oh, yeah. you gotta hit left on the D-pad to switch between what items you're using and Torgal's attacks. Yeah. I had a talisman on early game that made Torgal's attacks um, automatic, okay? Which was the only time that Torgal was there, because he was jumping around killing things. Once I took that off, I forgot that dog was even with me. Like, <laughs> I just stopped using him. Um, but when it comes to... I feel like... I feel like with the combat, I never felt like I was going to be punished for making a stupid mistake. Like, I prefer it where it's not quite brainless because there's times where mm -hmm. it almost felt a little brainless. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. Um, I, I do feel like... I, I feel like what happened was they were trying to play to too many audiences... Um, and so whenever you try to do that, someone's going to get left behind. Um, I'm not great at dodging and twitch reflexes in a lot of games. And so I did die more than you did for sure. Yeah, I um, did too. But it wasn't one of those things where I ever felt like, like there's no way I'm going to beat this boss. Right mm -hmm. now. Is that a bad thing or is that a good thing? I guess I don't know. I do feel like there's there could have been more battles throughout that did sort of push things a little bit more or made you have to really like really like maximize what you're doing in order to succeed a little bit better. Um, but I think the other thing the other thing with that is if it's just going to try to force you into playing the game one way, uh, is that a benefit either? Um, and maybe the game just doesn't have enough interesting side stuff that pushes you with harder combat. Um, I don't know. Like that. That's that's kind of where I've been caught on this because I I will agree that the game is definitely easy. 
What um, what difficulty did you guys play on? Because there was there standard. Was a, there's story mode standard, and was there a third, or is it just the two to begin with? It's just the, it's just the two, and okay. then and then so because yeah, their whole idea with like the difficulties is you had story mode, which and basically the only difference between the two is that with story mode, it automatically equips the um, helper accessories. Oh, okay. And that that's I think my understanding is, is that's really the only difference. Is that it'll automatically equip those for you, so that it'll you'll have like the auto dodge equipped, um, and then the uh, basically when you hold down the attack button or hit the attack button, it does the combos for you, and will do like your abilities on cooldown and stuff like that, so that you don't have to cycle through the icon abilities and stuff. Um, so I think that my understanding is that's the only difference between story mode and then standard. Um, and then Final Fantasy mode and New Game Plus is supposed to be then that higher difficulty, but you can't do that until you beat the game. But the one thing that is different with that is that Final Fantasy mode switches up like combinations of enemies in places to make it more difficult um, so that it, it should feel a little bit like a different experience. It's still the same game that you're going through from start to finish, mm -hmm. um, but you start with all your abilities, so it's going to give you more of an opportunity to... Uh, mess around with combinations of different abilities also and for clarity i'm gonna go through new game plus probably i will yeah. skip the cutscenes mm -hmm. because i'm super interested to see how fast this goes if that happens <laughs> a lot um, faster I'm but sure. the combat is fun enough where yeah. i would go through it again like i don't <laughs> want to take away from the combat system here to the degree going oh here's all these complaints because like that's what nerds do we but like it is but we don't swear on mic so tom has to bleep it out female dog <laughs> it's not a swear um but like it's it's enough fun or i will definitely be playing through this uh even when you just pick it up and play for a bit because it's it's fun combat yeah. and when you're lighting up these icon abilities which we're going to talk about our builds in a minute like it is it is like eyegasmic like the oh, yeah. the, the the coolest stuff you see that when they do some of these abilities, man, it's just over the top. Mm -hmm. And a lot of RPGs, like you're choosing specific gear for your avatar or your protagonist or your character. In FF16, Clive uses a sword from beginning to end. Did you guys miss having any flexibility in the types of weapons that you chose or equipped on your character? It definitely seemed like there was like one best at all times, right? Like there oh, really yeah. wasn't much diver you can do it with the with the talismans, which is like your jewelry, right? Yeah. There is your build diversity. Yeah. But from an item standpoint, not really at no. all. This is the best bracer. This is the best waist armor. This is the best sword. Done. There was one instance where uh, one of the swords was boosting something. I actually don't remember what it was, but that was like the only time where I thought like, maybe I don't upgrade yet because this is giving me added, I think it was maybe HP. I'm not sure. There was one spot where that was like an actual thought, but otherwise, yes, it's really just putting the one that makes the number higher. Um, but it's then very again, streamlined. I mean, it's it was easy to tell what was best for your character at any given point. And looking back at like some of the older Final Fantasies, like, it's a lot of what those experiences are too. It's like, what's the best weapon for this character? Plug it on, you know, like Final Fantasy, um, uh, Final Fantasy seven is like that remake is different because you have the, um, equipment abilities to upgrade. Um, that was a cool system. Yeah, yeah that was sure. a really cool system. Uh, so I think that's where this, this combat system, cause you kind of have to take the advancement system along with it. I feel like that's, the part of it that it was slightly missing is it didn't have that extra hook that like Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth system had with like 
um, like leveling up the weapons and then sort of the, the option of choice there. And like, it felt like in 16, you're, you're collecting all of these uh, crafting materials, um, but you're not actually doing anything interesting with it. It's just as long as I can do the one hunt to get this better weapon, then I can make this better weapon. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have, because of the way I play the game, I'm going to have a zillion of these other random things because I've pummeled up enough like uh, weak dudes to get them. Um, and so, I don't know. I wish there was a little bit more meat to some of those aspects of it. Um, I think the advancement system with like learning the icon abilities and leveling those up was fun, but it wasn't like as deep or as choice filled as like the sphere grid or even like the materia system where you're trying to determine what materia do I put on which character so that they get these abilities or even like the Esper system in final fantasy six where you're, um, you know, you're learning the different magic based upon what magicite you have on. Um, and so I feel like it was just missing that one extra piece that was going to help it to be on that same level. Um, but from an actual, like the actual combat perspective overall, I mean, it was more fun combat than I think a lot of the other games have been. Yeah. yeah. And they really, for clarity here too, we're talking about like the sword, which is like the most basic attack for the most part. They made icons to be in the spotlight. That was the yeah. whole point of the icon system. So we're talking about something where, yeah, like it, it was kind of not, I don't want to say dull, but it was definitely much more of a secondary thought because mm-hmm. they put, they wanted icons out in front and they wanted all the attention there. Well, speaking of the icons being out in front and having the spotlight and being the center of the focus, there are some very large-scale boss battles with icons. Mm-hmm. How how uh, big tentpole battles, how do these battles grab you guys? Were they well done? Were they too long? <laughs> well, what do you Tom, think, Tom? How do you feel? <laughs> how do you feel about that, Tom? <laughs> well, I mean... I know why you were struggling so much without a word that question. So <laughs> yeah. why don't you start? Well, we'll start. I, you find a lot of... Uh, I, I don't want to spoil anything here. Yeah. You fight against some unique characters that are the dominance of these different elements. Uh, and Dominance, real quick. Um, basically, in this world... Each of these essentially, like gods, right, are attached to one living human at the time. That's just, they're born with it. Um, and what they can do is they can call upon the ability of this god. That, and that's yeah. what they're called dominance. Yeah. So you're battling these dominants throughout the game. And there's one that's tied to a huge moment in the story. And you're battling against Titan. And it was seriously like a 45 minute to an hour long fight. It was and big. Like, it, it was an epic scale. And I appreciated, like, some of the visual elements of it, but at the brass tacks is like ultimately at one point you're falling down a chasm and I'm like dodge. All right, fireball, 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 fireball. Oh, here he comes again. Dodge, punch, punch, punch. <laughs> dodge, fireball, 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 fireball. Oh, here he comes again. Dodge, punch, 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 punch. And uh, it was just, I appreciated you had, the spectacle. You had an extra ability that you could do, and you could use that to help block against things and do damage at the same time. Yeah, but Titan was a long fight, dude. It was. I it was I don't like know. Three phases, right? Four. Four. Was it four? Yeah, because he kept coming back to life. Like Garuda came yeah. back to life three times, yeah. and Titan was 157 times at 45 minutes per phase. Like <laughs> I don't know. That fight is one of my. It's probably like one of my favorite. Like just in general like 
gaming. Like, this is your outer fight. wilds of Final Fantasy. Visually nuts. It's like, visually crazy, <laughs> and it's just like it, it. It like I don't know. I was along for the ride that whole time. Like it just kept throwing different things at me, and so it's like okay, I'll just roll with it this way. And it's just like, and it's you know, knowing Hugo Kupka and who he is and what you learn about him as the story goes on, it's just like yeah, the guy's not gonna quit. You know, and so you're just going to keep fighting and fighting and fighting him. And I feel like with like the interstitial pieces that pop up as you're going from phase to phase to phase or the things that help bridge the gaps between the phases. I don't know. I was just along for the ride of this like crazy anime battle that kept just escalating and escalating and escalating until it got to the end. And I, I don't know. It was like it was a 45 minute fight. Like Tom is not exaggerating. It is a long fight, but it is so much fun. And the way the music like evolves as it goes through and builds and then like iterates on itself, like like every aspect of it and kind of Clive's development as you're going through that battle, too. Um, it's just like there's so much cool stuff in that I, I was along for the ride I loved like that was one of my favorite parts of the game mm-hmm. and before we let Brian weigh in on it like two out of the three icon fights the big ones that I had I love like Garuda yeah. and Bahamut I love those fights but for some reason Titan just I did not enjoy that particular one yeah and uh, fighting when you're fighting as dominance it, it changes mm. how the combat system works and it was almost like somebody was like how do we make advent children look boring like that was <laughs> it seemed like that was what they were going for because it is so over the top and yeah. there's these huge explosions and there's like quick cut scenes where you got to do like the inputs and all that kind of stuff but the icon fights i would say they are much less about combat um, and much more about just the visual spectacle of what's happening because they really mm-hmm. simplify the combat when you're playing as an icon. Um, well, and they change up the combat a lot. Yeah. Like you get, you have different abilities when you're a freak than when you're Clive, right? Um, some of the things kind of mirror like Titan's ability, or not Titan's, Ifrit's uh, abilities that you can unlock and use to some extent, vary a little bit, but. Um, I don't know. I, I, I it, it's interesting because it, 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 it's fresh from the rest of the combat because it's different. Um, and then each uh, icon that you're fighting uh, is a different kind of set piece. Like one of the things that they were talking about with it is that their whole goal with each of the icon battles is to make them all feel very distinct from each other. They do. Yeah. And that's something that they definitely succeeded on is it's like every single one of those fights is unique from the other and a different game gameplay style like the the first one that you fight in they're like they wanted that to be like a wrestling match it's like a wwe <laughs> like aew like hardcore like over the top wrestling match um and then like other ones it's like it's kind of like a uh like a shoot 'em up game you know like the very first one that you fight in and and so i like that was kind of their aspect of it and also they haven't really said exactly what yet, but both the Kingdom Hearts team and then um, the team at uh, Platinum Games that did Near Automata, mm-hmm. both of those development teams worked on aspects of the game. Okay. Uh, I believe each one of them, my understanding is each one of them uh, designed one of the icon fights. Oh, sweet. I, I, I don't know which one they said as you know once more people have played the game they're going to announce like platinum's got to be Kupka, right platinum that's what be. i was that's, thinking that's, my that's what i was thinking because of how just crazy and yeah. over the top and all the different aspects of it, it felt like happened. sonic for half of that yeah. fight <laughs> and and ultimately i could kind of see uh the kingdom hearts team being the one that did the bahamut one 
possibly, um, just because there's some similarities to um, some of the things that you do in the Kingdom Hearts series in there. Um, but I think that was a really neat thing that they did with that too. Um, but I don't know. I, I thought that I thought the icon battles were all really cool. Um, and, and it helped to freshen things up so that you're fighting in a different way than you were throughout the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. And, and you have a little bit less choice as to what you have as a build in there. Like you have no choice as to what your build is in there. Um, but they, they, they iterate and develop the abilities that you get sort of slowly over time, um, until you get into a more fully fleshed kit by the end of the game, uh, which I think is cool. So... <clears throat> Each time you're able to de defeat one of these these dominants, one of these these gods, you take on some of their abilities. So, mm -hmm. like, what did you guys, as far as Tom? I know you're limited up to what happened with Bahamut, but like, by the time that you stopped playing, let's start with you. What was your kit like? Like, what was what was your mix and match that you were using for your skill set? Well, I'm not gonna have a lot to contribute for this because I already talked about uh, being limited to the starter abilities. Unspecking, respecking. Uh, so at the end of the game, I was primarily using lightning because I thought they look cool. But I was not moving off Phoenix because I did not want to get rid of Phoenix Shift for anything. Like I love that. Once I got used to not Phoenix shifting directly into attacks because it's dodge <laughs> and Elden Ring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, once I made that adjustment, uh, I view that as a must-have ability that I wasn't going to move away from. Yeah, and I definitely I could not play this game at the same time as Elden Ring because the controls were just different enough and like like that was the circle button which is your dodge and elden ring it's just like yeah no it was it was killing me so it's like okay well i'm playing ff16 so there's no way i'm playing elden ring for a while but yeah that and you hate it with the burning fiery passion well, i definitely liked one of the games far more than the other one so there is that too that didn't make the it didn't that made the decision a little bit easier so but. would you kid out then with joe like did do this tell me what you kind of use for most of the game yeah. And then towards the end, what was that end kit and what were, yeah. you, what were you building it for? So, like, the three big abilities that I used throughout the majority of the game were uh, Ifrit's Ignition ability, which which I talked about before, um, Gouge, because just building up Stagger is really nice, mm -hmm. yep, from Garuda, and then Titan's Windup, um, mostly just because the grunt is, like, epic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so those were like the three abilities that I would plug in and mix and match. Like I had those mastered pretty early on. And then as I was getting the new, uh, as I was getting the new icons, I would plug those abilities in for different things as I would go through. Um, I really liked having, I, I bounced back and forth between either having Phoenix equipped for Phoenix shift or having Garuda equipped because it is really nice that to use down. her pull oh, down yeah. ability. Um, to when the, when the big guys are partially staggered to really wallop on them for a little bit extra time. Yep, so how that works is once you get a stagger meter, once you drive it all the way down, you get an opening, the more hits you get, the more the multiplier goes. And with Garuda's attack, once they hit halfway, you can pull them down to their knee and it just creates an opening and you just go yeah. ham. Yeah, so it like gives you an, an extra like mini um, kind of stagger window that's like maybe a quarter of the length of time, but it's it's enough time to get in a couple of hits. Yeah, and, with, and if you're using the Gerudo stuff, you can shred that thing down pretty quick pretty yeah. with Gouge. Uh, and so, so then it basically was, as I was unlocking icons, I would switch to those and use those for a while and then basically kind of rinse and repeat as I went through. Uh, I similar to Tom, I really didn't unlock many of like the main like the big abilities for any of them. You boys, just because the the cooldown was so much, 
And and really, if you think the game's too easy, hey, maybe don't use the big abilities. <laughs> the game's a little bit harder, huh? Um, so, you know, maybe that's that's part of the reason, too. I wanted to play the game like a man, you know? Uh, but, Get good if F-16 style, you yeah, know? Yeah. So what was your end build? yourself. What was uh, the end build then? So... I, for a while, I used Bahamut with the Mega Flare and building it up yep. and using satellite to like do damage while you're holding it, you know. Um, but that went by the wayside. Basically, my end game it was Shiva was one of them equipped, and oh, yeah. and Odin was the other one equipped, and then it was wait, Odin's in this game? Yeah, Odin's in this game. Um, Zantetsukin is just like too good of an ability. It's sweet, um, and just. So I did unlock his sort of third tier ability because yep. it stops time basically, yep. and so the fact that you could just sit there and wail on them, build up your Zentetsukin gauge so that you can let off the Zentetsukin attack is like, it's too good. Um, and then Shiva's like ability to freeze, like with her circle ability, oh yeah, is it's just it's I don't know I th I feel like that that's probably broken. It, it probably yeah. is. Um, and thankfully, like, my timing isn't as good as yours, so it's probably not as broken for me as it is for you. Conceivably, so with Shiva, you can, like, you dodge, but if you hit the button as you're dodging, you'll freeze the opponent, and you can get hit, hit, dodge through, freeze, hit, hit, dodge through, freeze. If you wanted to, conceivably, you could keep things, most things, from even moving. Yeah. Including some of the bigger bosses. It yeah. was just weird. Yeah. Um, and so, and I guess I used Diamond Dust on her at the end too. So well, I used some of the big abilities, but, um, I, so yeah, those were like two of my icon slots at the end. And then it really was bouncing between either Phoenix or Garuda for their circle ability. And then I had, um, I had Ignition on one of those. And then, uh, I think it was, I think at the end it was, um, Rising Phoenix on the cool. other one. Cool. So I did. Um, I, I did. I had Garudel for most of the fights for like halfway through the game because it's hard to get away from the pull down. Yeah. And that tornado is awesome. If you guys are fighting little people, <laughs> they're bouncing around inside the tornado. They can't get out. And if you've got on Phoenix ship, yeah. you can blast up in there, pound them into the yeah. ground, and they keep getting chucked around. Um, Though I will say, tornado, I stopped using because. If you needed to see what anything else yep. was doing, you can't see sh you can't see anything with <laughs> nice that. Nice yep. thank you. And so it's just like it's just like okay, well, I have no nothing what's going on. I'm just mashing buttons. So I actually stopped using that one basically because of that because it was yep. just too obstructive to my vision. And it, it sucks because it can it can it can get the stagger meter down pretty quick, but you can't see them winding up. Yeah, if it, particularly against a boss. So my end game in the first slot, I had uh, I had fire. So I had the the big risen move to clear out the trash, but I also had the ice move where you throw out the big ice crystal yeah. and it just keeps ticking damage that was super useful two was odin um both of which um were uh just to charge up the zen what's it called again zentetsukin zentetsukin so that one basically what you do is you charge it up to level three hold down your attack button and then what happens is you just get this massive damage spike and if you juice up that move you get up to five, five. levels yeah. which is absurd yeah um and then finally, I used Bahamut, and I had I had Giga Flare on there, which is just an awesome move. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also had uh, Diamond Dust, uh, which is Shiva. And Diamond Dust, I didn't I didn't really realize why it was so useful. Right, I was like, man, why are things dying so fast? Diamond Dust, when maxed out, is able to take 
most bosses shields down to or their stagger meter to half. Yeah. And if it's not a boss, you can take off the entire stagger meter in one burst. Hmm. And because of how big the burst is, you can almost be at max damage for the multiplier for the multiplier. If they were at half stagger and you blasted it, you put them at 1.5% immediately, and then you go into Giga Flare and they are shredded. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also love the fact of, is it Mega Flare, which is so when you're Bahamut, when you hit circle, you get wings and you float around. If you can perfect dodge, it speeds up how this meter builds up. It gets to level four, and then you hit circle, and basically you just rain down lasers essentially yep. on your opponent. Mega flare, yeah. Which was that's how I started off every single fight because it was just all of this damage. The only problems I ran into with this kind of stuff is two things. One, um, mega flare was challenging because when the wings are out, it kind of obstructs your view a oh, little yeah. bit, yeah. And you can't always see what's happening. And I took a lot of hits yeah. there. The second part that was always challenging with the icons is there is so much lightning and fire and all this mad stuff during some of these boss fights particularly some of the end boss fights you cannot see if they're attacking at yeah. times because there's just too much blinding me yeah so that was that's the only shortcoming i would say when it came to the graphics of this game mm-hmm. there's a point where it is so amazing you don't know what's happening anymore <laughs> um well, but, uh, and, and i thought they were awesome the game is kind of infamous for like streamers just because of the fact that, like, because Twitch has such a like a pretty poor bit, max bit rate, mm-hmm. and so when it gets to some of those really crazy things that are happening on screen, it's just like pixel, pixel, pixels mm-hmm. all over. Um, just because it just it, Twitch just can't like keep up with it. Got you. Um, and so that that's it's kind of infamous from a streamer perspective <laughs> because of that because it's just like okay, well, this is where everything looks like I'm on like a freaking twenty eight point eight k modem right now, <laughs> you know, but. Uh, um, Sounds like the best way to experience it. I don't know. I mean, it is cool. Um, and it was fun. It was lots of fun playing like playing with people in chat and stuff like that. Uh, one fun thing. So one of the people that was in chat uh, that's from Poland, uh, Kupka, um, and I'm going to swear, I apologize, is little shit in Polish. Nice. <laughs> so huh. that's kind of funny that that's his name. <laughs> I don't know. I love that's that. awesome. Did you uh, stream this entire game, Burns? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, Twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. Yep. So, yeah, they're all there in the VODs. Um, Can you tell the group how, what level were you after, what, like, two or three days? Because you power leveled to, I, I thought I was doing well leveling, and then you told me what level you were at after, like, two or three days of streaming. Oh, I don't, I don't remember. It was, like, 30s or 40s, wasn't it? It was something absurd. Yeah, I mean, I, I got up there pretty fast, it, like... I feel like you level a lot faster earlier on, and then it, it does slow down as you get near the end. Because um, I finished the game at, like, 47. That's mine, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, pretty early on. Yeah, I was in the, I think I was in the 30s pretty early on. It was crazy. I was in the teens. I'm like, oh, I'm doing super well. Burns like, yeah, but like 38. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was 32. The combat is great. The icons and the icon abilities are great. Uh, it's a visual spectacle. Our thoughts on the narrative as Clive and Final Fantasy go full on Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones in a good way, Burns, or Game of Thrones in a bad way? No, I mean, it's Game of... I mean, they finished it, so Game of Thrones in the best way possible. Uh, and the uh, unachievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess Tom didn't finish it. He's looking for the George R.R. R. Martin experience, so he can't play any more of the game until uh, George R.R. R. Martin writes another book. Yeah, no, just give me a whole bunch of stuff about, like, the history of Rosaria and uh, 
That'd be great. Uh, that's the act of time lore. You just, just go talk to Harpocrates and sit there and just read that stuff um, as your filler content until uh, forever. Yep, until until forever. Uh, I, I, I think I think the story, the narrative, is definitely a strong suit um, for the most part. There's a couple of things that I have some some quibbles with, but um, this is definitely one of the best groups of characters in a Final Fantasy game. I think hands down. And who are some of the standout <clears throat> characters between? All of us. I mean, Sid. I know who. Yeah, Sid's Sid's my favorite. Sid is awesome. I mean, Clive Clive is a really good character, also. Um, and so I I, I think I, I really do like Clive's character. Sid is a standout. Um, best Sid, in my opinion, from the games I have played, which is not quite as expansive as yours. This well, is the best Sid for me. I feel like this is the biggest part Sid's been able to play in a game. I think so. I mean, he's a party member in FF Seven. Yeah, I can't remember any other. Who beats like... his wife. Oh, I don't remember. Or that. at least threatens abuse on his wife. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of a problematic character in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, and I don't re- like. I know I've run into Sid in the other games, but I don't remember him having another prominent role. So he's in fifteen, isn't he? Because his daughter Cindy's there. Yeah. So Sid, Sid was one of um, Noctis's father's retainers in fifteen. Mm-hmm. So he was like what like Prompto was, I guess to gotcha. Noctis's father. Um, and I said Prompto because I don't see him like an Ignis or like a Gladio, so he probably was Prompto. Fair. <laughs> it's the hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then in 6, he was more of a side character. He was kind of like the guy on the inside of the Empire that was like good. So like he knew Celis really well. Um, and then in the world of Ruin, he like is with Celis because um, then there's like the infamous you have to go find fish for Sid. Um, and then there was like in if you played like the actual SNES versions of the game, you could get him bad fish and he'd die. <laughs> and then Celis would throw herself off of the cliff, oh my trying goodness. to kill herself. Yeah. Huh. Um, but then she'd wash up and still be alive. But but yeah, they, they they that's not that's not in the pixel remaster. You can't do that anymore. Huh. Um, which is... is a little unfortunate because it was like a well, be, and it was it was a crazy scene because. It was like emotional, but then also it mirrored the opera house scene where she's standing at the ledge and throws the flowers off. Instead, it's she's standing at the ledge and throws herself oh. off. It's like I don't know. I thought that that was that was really cool. But anyway, we're getting off. So yeah, I think I feel like this is like the most Sid has had a chance to shine, um, and he really is like the most important character uh, other than Clive in the game. And the voice actor killed yeah it. he's also like we talked about he's also in diablo 4 yeah who would have thought that the person that was finch just the jerky alcoholic uh road salesman in the british office was gonna be like freaking sid in final fantasy 16 and be like your your father figure and like your motivating factor um I don't know. That's just funny to me that that's the the voice actor is that guy but one standout character a piece that's not sid <clears throat> I'll go first. Kupka. Like, I thought Kupka was an awesome villain. Like, he was a big BAMFer and he knew it. And, uh, like, I enjoyed. I thought it was a little silly how worked up he was about Benedicta, but overall, I thought that he was an awesome villain and I really enjoyed taking him down. So, the, I think the, the thing about Hugo that's so interesting is, like, just like the sadness of the position he's in. Um, and maybe when we talk about spoilers, we could like talk about that and how like it feels like everybody's maneuvered him into like this spot and like he can Everyone. only do <laughs> he can only do what he can what he's going to do. 
Um, and that's like kind of like sad. Like it's like super unfortunate for him. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Kupka, Kupka is an interesting character in that way. I already talked about Benedicta, so I'm not going to use my one character on, on that. Um, so we're going to do the dog. Let's do Torgal. <laughs> also, we didn't mention this in the combat, but I hated controlling Torgal, and he was just a bullcrap healer. Like, he was worthless as I a mean, healer. healer. He wasn't noticeable. Yeah, healer was pointless. Um, it was fun to do, like, his uh, his punishing uh, sick moves. So basically, if you're at the end of a combo and you tell him to attack at the right time, he, like, cartwheels in and does a bunch of damage. And he'll hold them there for you to get reset and then yep. go again. Yeah, so so that was useful. I did use that a lot in the early to mid game. Uh, after a while, it's just, like, all of your other abilities so much better. take more time, yeah. too. It's like, I can't really tell Torval to do a whole lot while I'm floating around and building up my gauge <laughs> um, as, as Bahamut, so... Uh, I, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Otto as a character. Um, so you know, interesting choice. Otto is like the main administrator in the hideaway. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting. So you have a point in the game where you can choose to go on a mission with either him or somebody, one of the other characters. Gav. Is it Gav? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so since I'd already kind of been on missions with Gav, I was like, I'll give Otto a shot. And I did the same thing. Yeah. And I don't know, it's just, I think it's it's really cool, like, getting a peek behind, like, Otto and, like, what his motivations were. And then also, like, then how important Sid was to him, which mirrors, it's not the same way, but it's similar to how important Sid was to Clive, right? And that's the only spot you probably would have got that info. Yeah. If you didn't take that side mission, there'd yep. be a whole relationship aspect you had no clue on. Yeah. And so and I think the game I think the game kind of does that deliberately cuz then the other time they give you the option to do that you could either go out with Jill who you've traveled with a bunch and have had you know lots of things to do with Jill or, or with Tarya the healer in the camp and I chose Tarya too because Same-sies. it was just a good opportunity to get to know like that character um and so yeah I I thought I thought Otto was a really neat character and the fact that he's like always kind of that like hard-headed figure when he needs to be but then he's like that still that person that's there for you if you need them to be there for you um and a lot of that comes out more in like the side the side quests um then i mean he's still a main part of the main story quest because he's a lot of the time you're consulting with him before you go out um but i think there's a lot of other aspects of that that kind of come out um, and like how he's trying to mold and keep the hideaway going, uh, I just think is it's a really neat character and what they did with him in that in that sense. They found a way to make you care about the lead administrator, which yep. is a pretty remarkable task. Mm-hmm. I would take uh, there was two uh, Uncle Byron. I really uh-huh. liked a lot because yeah. he was just funny and I found it so irritating. What? What? I thought he was like the most Tom no. character of all. Yeah, of them. like he's just... like theatrical and he's like. He's like, he's like comes in at the right moment and like has like the solution for things that needed to happen or whatever. Like the argument between him and the field marshal as they're trying to like just survive a situation. Yes, they're, that's and, they're, so great. and they're just, I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> battling with each other. Um, but it's just that part killed me. And then I, I really liked Dion. Um, Dion's kind of a tragic character in a lot of ways. Yes. And, and, We'll, we'll get into that maybe in the spoiler section, but um, he's also, um, he is a an LGBTQ plus character. And mm-hmm. 
it was super subtle um, when you kind of get that confirmation with it. And they just let that happen in a really natural way. Because like sometimes, we, you know, we exist in a time right now where we are trying to be more inclusive to groups that have been marginalized. And I think that's important to do, particularly in media. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there's like really ham-fisted ways to do it. Like, oh, let's take this character and make him like a flamboyant drag queen. And yeah. look at it, look at it, look, yeah. look, look. And it's just like, yeah. And, and that is, you know, sometimes subsets of the groups. But, you know, there's other aspects to it too and and dion was a character that i thought was so well done because it was it was just so natural the way that everything was portrayed and like you really feel for him as like as the story goes on yeah it's super heavy um there's another one that i want to bring up but we can't do it until we get into like the more spoilery stuff um but there's another character that i'd I'd like to touch base on once we get down that way cloud You're not supposed to. Oh, sorry. That was probably really bad for people's ears. I apologize. Yeah, well, I'm going to leave it in there for all time. (laughs) Uh, One quick response on Lord Byron. I just thought he was a bumbling idiot. Like, it was just too over the top and too much for me. I think he came off as that, but I feel like that's his front so that people, like, overlook him. He was highly organized. He was smart. He was putting things together. Yeah. Like, he was. He was able to put up a front where they thought he was helping the current regime. Yeah. And he was still running all this stuff on the back end quietly. Like, yeah. he was intelligent. That's interesting. Like, I seriously think, like, because then, yeah, like, that scene that you're talking about, you're just like, well, how's he going to be able to fight off, like, all of this stuff that's going on? And it's like, I mean, he's clobbering people with the axe, yep. and he never is really, even though he's jawjacking at this other guy, it's like he's never really in danger. Like, he's... He's like, he knows what he's doing. Yep. He talks about how he's dangerous. He's like, as alone with an axe, he's like, I'm quite dangerous. Like, he he knows what he is. It's It's just, I think he just comes off as that goofball because like, you know, when he first meets Clive in the game and it's just like this whole weird theatrical thing and it's hilarious, but I don't know. I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I thought Byron was great. Is there more coming with Lord Byron? Yes. A lot. Okay. Well, that could change it. I mean, I thought the scene with him and Clive in the inn was masterful. I thought that was yep. really mm-hmm. well done. But then, like, wandering around the desert with him, I'm just like, oh, my God, this guy can go he, back he, to run his operation. He does a lot more of the overarching organization and planning later on in the game. Like, he, he takes a much larger role in the continent's affairs. It would be the best way I could put yep. that. Yeah I, think, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. So, overall... You guys enjoyed the narrative. And the narrative is another strength of an already very strong presentation. Real quick, uh, what I would say about the narrative too, this game really did have the potential to go off the rails with being confusing and lost because this is a deeply narrative game. Mm-hmm. We're talking about you've got five, I think it's five kingdoms. They are ruled in different ways. There's different players in a billion yeah. different ways. And what the game did, and I pray that for games going forward this is taken on there's a compendium so if you hold down the the touch bar on the ps5 pad during any cutscene, it will stop and show you every active character that is involved in that scene and what has been done with them up to this point what it will also do is when it brings these up if there's anything new they've added to that character's backstory there'll be a red dot on their icon as well so you go oh there's new information just in case you forgot something yeah i had to read about how senbrique was organized as a government 12 effing times because i'm like (laughs) what is going on again with them all right right oh they're run by this clergy group right okay 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 i got it but i had to keep reading it because there was just so much happening yeah um and that that made this so approachable and it made a real it helped the story so much because you could have gotten lost easy yeah 
And I didn't use the active time lore all that much. Like You're I so was smarter than everyone. I, I was just, just trucking along, and I'm like, I don't really know where and who Walud is, and I I don't fully understand. But it's like I'll probably figure it out. Or You're the story guy. I know I'm the story guy, but I don't like I don't like stopping to read the background. Like it was just a pacing thing for me. Mm. Burns, you like to see, touch, and consume everything in a game, like. Where do you come in on the active time lore? Oh, I think, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I would really like to see more games do that. Uh, because I'd like to see Elden Ring do it. That's where... Well, Elden Turner. Ring, because I don't even think they... They would need a mod made by the people that do the YouTube channels that actually write their stories for them. <laughs> you would hit the button and a question mark would come up and be like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, so... I, I, I just think it, it was a really good way because they knew they were creating a complex story. And I know leading up to launch, there was some like negative news outlets, like stories that came out that were basically talking about how, uh, how well, they've created too, too uh, bungling of a story. So they have to have this crutch in order to do this. And it's just like, no, it's just when you have a lot of different characters and you see them on screen again, you're like, OK, who the heck was that? I hold down the touchpad. I look at, okay, it's this guy. I remember this now. Um, or you can get extra added information that like you don't necessarily need to know, but it's it's a good to know type of thing. And then, yeah, the fact that you can go back, talk to Harpocrates, and he will have like the whole compendium there. You can look through and see. And, and, and there you can actually look through like which parts of the story did the story evolve for the different characters. And they'll also show related posts. So like if you're interested in this yep. one thing, it's like, oh, here's all the other things that touch on that. Yeah. That's that's a nice touch. No, it's it's so it's such a far cry from just you find a book in a house and you look at the book and you read part three of ten of this story. You yeah, know. suck on that, uh, Elder Scrolls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that was cool at the time, but this is like actually like taking it to that next step, and I love that, and I'm glad as somebody that really likes the lore in games, like I love that they put that much effort and time into giving you multiple ways to interface with the lore and to get at the information that you need to get, because then you also have I can never remember her name. But the, Annabelle? No, 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 no. The Jill? gal in the the gal in the highway that Karen. shows you the the map of the different characters. Ninetales, Vivian. Yeah, Vivian Ninetales, yeah. and that gives you another way to look at the interconnected relationship of all of the different characters, depending upon what part of the story you're at. Um, and even go in and say, "Oh, hey, what in the heck's been happening? If I haven't played it for a few days, and you can go in there and it tells you this is what Clive is doing now." Uh, and and then what's the state of the world outside of that? Like all of that stuff is just really neat and and cool. Uh, and and I think it shows that they they care they care enough about the story that they want to give people ample opportunities to interface with it in the way that's going to make the most sense for them. And, and I think that's awesome. And it allows complexity. Yeah. Like you can get so much more detail because you can still draw the details back. Um, without it, man, it would have been tough. Um, I do have one drawback of the narrative, and that maybe goes into like the struggle. Do you want me to hold on to it into the struggle portion, or yeah? Because I think we've talked already talked about a lot of what FF sixteen does well. So let's touch on any of those points that we haven't gotten to yet. Then we can yeah. go into your struggle with the narrative. I think this is an extremely polished and expertly curated experience. What I mean by that, 
there's never a moment that looks bad. There's never even like a single frame in a shot that looks bad. Like everything has this extremely high level of polish to it. And like, yeah, I thought the combat was a little easy, but on the flip side, everything looked awesome. And mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun firing off my icon abilities. Uh, I noticed that it took a lot of nuance from Final Fantasy 14. Like even the music when you get on Ambrosia, your Chocobo, it's like, mm -hmm. it's the music from FF14. There's a little, uh, uh, musical flair when you complete a quest. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's from the MMO too. Like, that's a nice Similar. touch. Well, I mean, it's the same uh, same composer that did 14, uh, Masayoshi Soken, that's, that did 16. Um, I don't know. The music in the game is amazing. Like, it is, it is you know, up there with, like, Final Fantasy 6 VI and 7 um, and 8 and 10 for, like, like best Final Fantasy soundtracks, I feel like, and all those little remixes in the background. You'd be sitting yep. there to see, and you're like, "Oh, wait a minute! Hold, wait, wait, okay." Yeah. We were, I was with the royal family at one point in the game, or a royal group, should I say? Not because there's a million royal families, uh -huh. but it's like playing the king's music in Final Fantasy One. I, I was like, "Oh, yeah. oh I'm like, how appropriate!" Yep. I'm like, "This is awesome!" And my wife loved listening to the music because she was picking up all these things from Final Fantasy One, yep. Final Fantasy Seven, and it was just like. Yep. If I wasn't paying attention, I would have missed it. And I think the voice the voice acting also is phenomenal. Clive killed it too. Clive he did, he Clive was, so was amazing. Sid was amazing. But even a lot of the bit characters, um, like Karen, like we were talking about, Gav, Gav yeah. Blackthorn, even like you know, it's a different <laughs> type of voice acting. Goots. Uh, there's so many different characters, and and the, the voice acting for the majority of them is all like really well done. I think, and even like Benedicta and Hugo, um, especially I think are standouts from like the antagonist side of things. Yeah, I agree. The entire like package is just so polished and so tight. The combat is awesome. Everything with the icons is awesome and fun. The presentation, whether it's the music or the voice acting, all really well done. Bernsey, I know we talked on the top five list how much you love uh, parts of a game that build on each other and expand as you explore as the game progresses how did the hideout um, meet or <laughs> exceed or fall below your expectations in that regard yeah see I, I mean I'm the outlier between the three of us apparently I, I thought the hideout was awesome um, the hideaway and the way that it like kind of grows and develops and you know there's kind of like more people there as you go on and then you get different parts of it uh, and I think just in general, like, as you get to different points in the game and you're walking around, similar to, like, in Final Fantasy VII Remake, different people are talking about different things, like, as you're walking by them. Um, everybody has something, like, different to say uh, when you talk with them later on in the game. If you buy uh, drinks at the bar... Um, at different times, the bartender will talk about like some aspect of the story that's going on at that point. Um, whether you buy it for yourself or you buy around for the hideaway, which you know, other than an, a other than like a trophy to pop, there's, like, there's I don't think there's any other benefit to just buying rounds of of you know ten thousand gill to spend on getting beer for everybody in the hideaway. But it was you know it was something you could do, and so I did it and. I don't know. It just it felt like a living, breathing area, and I didn't ever feel like it was really tedious to get from point A to point B because it was like, 
All right. Well, I have to go from the hunt board area to where engineering is. And so as I go up that way, I'm going to stop and I'm going to talk to the lady that's always infatuated with someone. Uh, and then I'm going to go to engineering. And then when I have to go from engineering over to here, I'll stop by and talk to Goots. Um, and I never stop to talk to Goots. Really? See? And it's just like, there's just so many, I don't know. And that, granted, I know the way that I probably interact with the game is probably a little bit more of an outlier because I'm like that. I want to talk to everybody and see what's going on and, and kind of get to know them as characters. Um, but I don't know. I just, it felt like a living, breathing area that was continuing to develop, um, which I think is why I liked it. Sure. It would have been nice if you could have ran a little bit faster to get from point A to point B sometimes. Um, but the only time that I truly actively disliked it was when you're gathering all the stuff for mid. Cause like it's like oh my god like I just want to go and bash some more icons like <laughs> let's go steal someone else's soul like I do not care about your planning for this I'm sure there's gonna be a payoff for us but it's like oh my god I had to do a story quest where I bought garlic a story <laughs> mandatory story quest where my big ba hero yeah. beefcake that he is rolls into the market I'm like I need some garlic well that's the that's the MMO development team coming out there. <laughs> Huh. You gotta have a fetch quest or three. Yeah, or three. Clive's Clive's run speed, yes, sucked. And at any time that you're having to like go from the bounty board to like where they were doing the vegetation, uh-huh. it's there's no easy way to get there. He only so in the open world you can actually get a faster run speed um, after you've been running for a little bit. It's time based, and then like he picks up the speed. I wish there was a run button because in the hideaway, nope. It's that slow speed the whole time, and it takes forever. And particularly, like, like we're going to talk about it now, about the kind of the amount of side missions, right? Yeah. There gets to be a point where, like, at one point, like, there's a billion of them that pop out at once. And just running to get to the icons took forever. And it's... And I get it's not a major complaint, but it's like when things are so far apart and you yeah. can only go so fast really really painful um, going down to the gardening areas especially yeah so. because it is so far away um, um so on that ugh. point yeah with the side quests too it's like one of the places where the game really fell back um and, and I know a lot of a lot of the commentary that came out around it when the game first came out was that the side missions the side quests were bad um and I don't think that that's the case like I would say I would say two-thirds of them I enjoyed. Um, or I thought that two-thirds of them were important to the story or helped to add things about characters that I'm glad that I got. World building was there, for sure. Yes. Through the first 30 hours, I was mostly leave them, but there were a couple standout ones, like the one with the wolves in Sandbreck I thought was really interesting. Yeah. There are a couple in Sandbreck that I really liked. So, well, and some of those, we'll get to that point in a second, because I want to touch base on the Northreach Sandbreck side quests um, in a moment. Um, but I feel like the pacing for the side quests was off especially the deeper you got into the game because there's a while there where there's like no side quests you like bounce between like three different missions there's like three chapters or four in a row and there's nothing there I went to like the side quest dude in the hideaway I'm like I got nothing for you I'm like really? like okay and then he just saves them up (laughs) yeah because then it's like you get to the point where it's like okay you're about ready to go on the last mission now everybody wants you to do something it's like 15 it is a lot it's 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 and it's that is not an exaggeration and so 
I, they really needed to pace those out and balance those out through the experience more. Some of them I know couldn't happen until certain points because of the regions that you have unlocked at different points in time. But like it, it, it was a problem because, you know, when I go to sit down and play for four hours and I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to get to the end today. Um, and then it's, you know, the third session after that, where it's like, okay, I'm finally getting to the end today. It's just like, I still enjoyed a lot of those side quests, but it got in the way of, of like the pacing leading up to the end. It's like, okay, we've got to like bolster all of our like power to do this one last thing. Um, and it's like, well, no, I got to run over here with this person. And then I got to go here for this person. And then that person at this area needs me again. And it's just like, they needed some more of that stuff to be balanced a little bit farther ahead in the story so and, that it didn't all pile up at once. And you can't complete it after the final mission. Like once you do the final mission, like credits roll and you're on a new game. Game's plus, over. Yeah. You can uh, go back to your save file and do the stuff. Why? Like, is there something that remarkable that happens in that final mission that you can see without spoiler? Like, why? Why isn't it like Jedi Fallen Order where you can just like get back in the ship, fly back to Dathomir, and find the last um, couple? There's of there's things? outcomes that prevent it. Yes. Oh. So I would I would seriously say they could have done something like they did in Final Fantasy 15, where it tells you at that point, like you have to save in this bathroom with the dog. Um, and if you do with Umbra, and if you do, you'll come back to this point um, when you continue your save. But it's basically like, you know, if you're going to the end, like they should have done something like that, where it's just like, hey, you can come back here and do this stuff, but you're moving forward to the end and it's the end. And even though it like shoves about a, you know, a billion side quests at one time, those side quests at the end are pretty critical because they give you some of the best gear and some of the best items yeah. at the end of the game. The, when you were talking about pacing, the one that didn't make sense to me is like towards the end of the game, one of the best swords you can get is Ragnarok. Okay? It's mm -hmm. just a sword. And the problem was is with Ragnarok, when I got that sword and you got it via a side quest, there were two more chapter unlocked swords. Masamune's one of them, and I forget what the other one is. Both were weaker than Ragnarok. So I got two swords that came through the story missions yeah. after I got Ragnarok. Never even equipped them. Yeah. Don't know what they look like. Yeah. And it, it and the swords were also intricately styled and stuff. But there was no point because yeah. they were so much weaker. And I was like, well, why the hell would they give me access to this yeah. early? It's like in Final Fantasy 15 when the ultimate played. You can get access to that in like chapter three. Yeah. And it's like there's no point to having anything else the rest of the game. Right. Yeah. So that's that's one part of the like the gearing system where I think they kind of fell off a little bit. Um, or like at least let you use the skin of one of them as the other one. So the transmog could, would be a good idea. Yeah. See it, right. Um, would have been something. Um, but going back to one other point, I know I've been talking for a while, so I apologize, but, um, it's a final fantasy show, man. This is true. This is your day to shine. Burns. Um, the Northreach Sandbreck set of side missions. Like you talking about the wolves one as one of them. Um, so this game Having played Detroit Become Human, um, you know, that game is kind of 
knocked and the and the the main creator of those games is sort of knocked for you know not really having a lot of subtlety when approaching subject matter and so like you know when he was talking about using like these androids as an as an analog for slavery it's like yeah i mean we we get what you're saying right wait what <laughs> there is there is point the points in this game and specifically when you get to the north reach area and you're doing like the side quest between north reach and more um where it's just like okay like it got to the point where it went from like you know so yeah like the the, the way that people the branded are treated is bad right because mm-hmm. um, yeah that's like one of the main things is like sort of the 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 subjugation of the branded how they're treated basically as slaves as less than everybody else like that's one of the main points of the game but it felt like at that point that it like turned into like just like they just went over the top with it and like just kept hammering it over and over and making it to the point where it was like um these people come off as like vaudeville villains the way that they're like treating these branded it's like i'm twisting my mustache and oh these people are making magic (laughs) no christmas for you yeah and it's just like it's just so over the top and it just got to be it's like got to the point where they were less subtle than david cage in detroit become human with how they approach the topic of sub of, of of slavery and it's just like come on like we got the point like you don't need to keep hammering it to us over and over and over again, and maybe that landed differently for other people. No, I'm um, with you. And it, and it, the, the problem is they didn't do that late in the game either, because there's some horrible missions about the orphanage, yeah. and like the prison, where like it's much more subtle with what yes. they're describing. And it, that and, stuff and, landed much better. Yeah, and yes. and they didn't have to keep smacking me in the face with it. Yes, and so I feel like there's a couple of those instances where it just like it got like a little bit over the top, where it just basically became funny. You know, and it's like <laughs> I when I was streaming it and then when I was watching another stream, too, and the wolves thing happened and it's just like like we were all laughing because it's just like it was at that point. It's like we get what you're doing and this is just over the top at this point, um, which I don't know. That was just one of the knocks that I had with it also is just it seems like they kind of got a little bit too over the top on some of those points. Um, but overall, like I said, I still really enjoyed the narrative. Considering the scope of this game and the story involved, it's a pretty small piece. Oh, like, yeah. No, definitely. Man, they, they cover so much and they do so much well. We are going to have to be a little bit concerned about time moving yeah. forward. Other struggles with Final Fantasy 16. The one that stands out for me is I just missed exploring. Like one of the things that I take from Final Fantasy is like wandering around the world and like looking for treasure chests. And like this, it's a very like God of War approach where you're in zones and you're kind of on rails. There's a little bit of opportunity to veer off. And with the hunts, you have a little bit of flexibility to try to find where these different monsters are. But for the most part, I was on a path and just mowing down lots of mobs to get to the next icon i mean there's some areas where you do have the opportunity to wander around explore and find some things waloo like but that's almost the end of the game Walud, too. but then like uh the uh dalmechia like, oh through the desert areas some of the desert yeah. areas like there's some pretty like significant like branching off like areas that go into like i don't know i wandered around there for a while and i was just having a lot of fun like exploring different areas and and granted that was me like wandering down paths and then finding things like probably 10 levels before i was supposed to find them um which was fine because i just like you know ride ambrosia through packs of whatever monsters anyway um so i think there was still it did a i feel like it 
was better than Final Fantasy VII Remake from like an exploration standpoint. Um, I feel like there was more of a purpose to the world and the areas than the areas in Final Fantasy XV. Like, it felt like Final Fantasy XV had a lot of huge areas, but there really wasn't a lot to find in them. So it, it feels like this is starting to move more in that direction. I, I highly doubt that we would ever get a Final Fantasy game that's going to have, like, an actual open-world area because I feel like they want to make the game look too good to be able to actually make an open world and what, like, drawbacks that... What, what they would have to do to tone down in order to do that. Um, and it's, it's a challenge, too, because, like... <clears throat> You don't want to overpopulate the world either, and it does feel a little bit empty at times when you're going through certain areas. Um, but I mean, it's we see this in other games. Breath of the Wild is guilty of it too. Um, God of War was guilty of that in certain ways too. So, um, but overall, I do feel like it's kind of like corridor to corridor. But it, that also kind of benefits the narrative. And being as the narrative was such a prominent thing, I think it, you had to kind of take the good with the bad. No, I want just the good. <laughs> just the good for this guy. One uh, one other thing that I wish they had, and they could easily patch this in, I do wish they had loadout options for the icon abilities. So, like, you could have, like, three sets of loadouts so that I could, like, easily switch between, like, okay, this is the one I'm going to do when I go into a boss fight or a hunt fight, and then this is one I'm going to have for, like, mobs. Yeah. yeah. Like, it'd be nice if they just had that option so I could quickly just flip between, like, one, two, or three of them before I jump into a battle. Like, that would be something that would be nice from a quality of life standpoint. Um, and then one other thing, because I know a lot of people have griped about some of these things online. What did you guys think about, like, the cinematic strikes and the cinematic evasions? Um, so basically the QTE po portions yeah. of, like, the big fights where you either have to hit, like, R1 at the right time or you have to hit square at the right time or you have to mash square. I didn't think they were necessary just because they gave you so much time to do it. Yeah, they yeah. Were really like, we're, we're talking, like maybe six seconds seven seconds yeah squares on the screen hit it i'm gonna wait come on <laughs> you, you can do job, it big guy <laughs> you know what's really humbling is the times when that's on there and then you hit the wrong button <laughs> what happens if you fail it because i never failed one uh, i failed an evade once and i don't think i think i just lost more health but then it still like went to like where it was going to go okay, eventually yeah. anyway it was just like an extra like animation of me getting like socked in the face and then <laughs> so yeah some of them maybe end up in a fail state and you have to restart from the checkpoint or whatever i'm not sure i don't mind a quick time event like i think i thought the system was fine but there was the windows were really big on them so i was yeah. like i think they're trying to add tension or maybe engagement in those moments and it's just like all right well boop yeah yay i did it <laughs> Yeah, I've achieved. <laughs> I do think it was also because one of the things that they wanted to try to be was cognizant of people that like only played, like haven't played a lot of action games, you know, since a lot of the games prior to this for Final Fantasy weren't action based. So I think they built in a lot of mechanisms. And I feel like this is one of those um, that's kind of like part of that. But yeah, the, the timing window is like insane for mm -hmm. them. Like you have you have all day. Like it's like. Oh, I was walking to the fridge, um, and shoot, that's happening. Like, I just have to move a little bit faster and get back and hit square, and I'm good. And those people are like, oh, I don't know what all these people are complaining about with these quick time events. <laughs> Certainly seems pretty easy. <laughs> uh, five minutes for our final thoughts, and then 15 minutes for our spoiler discussion. Uh, 
I thought this was a great experience. It's not going to be in my game of the year discussion, and it certainly lags behind some of the big tentpole PlayStation 5 games for me, like God of War and Horizon. But a question that I have for you specifically, Burns, is this the best place for people who are new to Final Fantasy to jump in? I mean, I would say so. Uh, it's it's definitely the combat system's more like a lot of the other like action games you would have played. So if you're more of like an action game player, like this is probably a good way to get in. If you are like a FromSoft player or something like that, maybe this isn't gonna be as punishing of <laughs> of of a, of a game uh, that you're maybe looking for. Uh, I think this is a good place for people to jump in. I really enjoyed the game. I think it's phenomenal. Um, I would recommend whenever people have the option or the ability to play it. So, you know, if you have a PS5 or you get a PS5 um, or once it releases on PC because they, they are going to do a PC version of it. It's just, you know, exclusivity goes to the end of the year. I actually doubt that they'll have the game ready by then. I would maybe think next summer would be when a PC release would happen. Um, but I would highly recommend for folks to play it because I think it's a really fun experience. Um, you know, and it's, you know, if you don't do a lot of the side stuff, it's still going to be like a 60 hour ish experience, probably 50, 60 hour experience. Holy cow. I got a lot of game left. You got a lot. You do have, there's a lot that happens yet. I have, according to the PlayStation tracker, I have 28% of the game left, but, uh, that's 30 hours in. Yeah. You, you know, you're probably more on like the, what was, what was your hour count when you finished? Hmm. Up the top of my my brain, maybe like sixty something, like yeah. seventy something. Yeah, I got a lot of game left. Oh man, I thought I was close. Uh-uh. There's a decent amount. Well, and it depends if you do a lot more of the side stuff or not. You know, yep. got to touch and it all. The hunts. Mm-hmm. Ryan, your final thoughts on Final Fantasy 16 before jumping into a spoiler discussion? Probably my favorite one. I don't know if it's this or if I don't know if it's Final Fantasy 7 the remake. And the only reason I like remake so much is because of how the characters work. Um, but this is my favorite combat system and gameplay is a huge thing for me. Um, I thought the story was really well done. They made the story accessible when in some ways it might not have been accessible. Um, I think that this is an awesome game to, to start with. I'm really looking forward to as well because this thing was locked in at 60, um, 60 frames. I'm really interested once they do a patch that allows that VRR to kick in. This is going to be stupid pretty, mm-hmm. um, and I would I put this ahead of Horizon for me. I like yeah. I, I love Horizon as a world, but the narrative is nowhere as strong, and, and I the enjoy, combat isn't as funny. No, I don't think. and I enjoy this combat more, so I'd put this ahead of Horizon. Interesting. Me too. I think it's I do think it lags behind like God of War and Ragnarok, and probably like Spider Man and what probably will be Spider Man Two from that sense. Um, and I know yesterday you asked me how I feel like this rates with the other Final Fantasies. Um, or how it rates in general, and it's probably not in my like highest tier of games, um, but it's probably in that next level down. Yeah, I, it's a great experience. If you're interested in a spoiler discussion, stick around. I'm going to read a brief outro here, and then after that, we're going to come back with our complete and spoiler-filled discussion. Next month, we're going back in time to check out Kingdom Hearts. We'll talk about the iconic video game franchise and the board game Kingdom Hearts Perilous Pursuit. Bernsey, you excited for Kingdom Hearts? Yeah. <laughs> you said with trepidation? 
<laughs> well, you'll get our full thoughts next month. Thank you so much for listening to Outside is Overrated. Please support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash oil. For Brian and for the Hobbybox Joe Burns at Hobbybox Burns on X and twitch.tv slash Hobbybox Burns, I'm Tom Sidlogic at Tom Sidlogic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. Except not really, because now, spoilers, 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 spoilers. Hey, we're spoilers. living on time. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Spoiler discussion on Final Fantasy 16. I got as far as Bahamut, so this is all going to be new to me. I'll stick around. Like, I... Okay, question number one. Does Clive die? Is that why this is a tragic story? They kind of leave that open. So, like... How do you not know? They, like, is there a headline on the ground? Or is there not? 5% leave it open. Yeah. So he's, he's dead. I'm pretty sure he's dead. Yeah, the star tells you, right? Well, it's that tells you, fades. and just, yeah. Like, I don't know. The, he was petrifying by the end. <laughs> yes, yes. Because uh, the, the, the curse was heavy on him because of all the power that he oh, took yeah. in. Um, I, I feel like there's, there's a theory that I saw online... Of, is this the hopium? Oh yeah, this is the hopium I was talking about, where it's like, oh, because Harpocrates gave him the quill so that he could write his story, and you know how he was talking to Harpocrates about all this stuff that you know Joshua, Joshua was the one that died, and Clive actually lived, or Joshua, Joshua brought him back to life and died, and it's just like uh, people are just making shit up because they don't want Clive to have died. Yeah, your fan fiction isn't working. Yeah, um, it's just like, I, yeah, it's. By Torgal's reaction and Jill's reaction and the star disappearing, like yep. I'm yeah, De- I'm pretty sure that he's Dion, jo- Joshua, adult Joshua, and um, Clive all go to the origin to finish this thing off, and they all die. Uh, I don't think so. You don't? You think Dion lives? I think Josh lives. You think Josh lives? Well, he was the one that wrote the book at the end, which is the chronicle of the entire story. Oh, that's. Fair. Yep. He seemed pretty dead in that scene, though. But, but he's a phoenix. But, well, so, I don't know. It's sorry to, like, crush what happens at the end of the game. Clive takes all of Ultima's power, right? Yeah. So then he has everything. Yeah. And he knows that he isn't the perfect vessel, um, you know, so that basically he's going to use the power while he can yeah, to try to it. set everything right. One of the things he does is, you know, he heals Joshua at that point. Yeah, he takes the the, the hole in his chest is corrected. Yes. And then... I have a feeling that that was enough to bring heal back. Joshua so that he was going to be... He was going to be fine. Okay, that's fair. I can yeah. see that. And so, you know, if they do DLC, I could see that maybe being the continuation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just whether they want to make it where you play as somebody else other than Clive... So then if you're Jill going out to try to find Clive and then you find Joshua or something like that, um, you know, that could be interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I have a feeling that Joshua survived. I mean, Dion, I think, is almost certainly dead. For sure. Because of the sacrifice that he made. Um, and then, I, like, I'm pretty positive that Clive is dead, too, when they're showing you basically... Yeah, because yeah. I, I thought the, the calcifying at the end and the and so like the red star that signifies the family when that thing goes, you're just like okay, so like now I'd have to assume that that's the end end for him. Yeah, um, and the fact that like Ultima too, they did such a good job at the end of the game with Ultima explaining like Ultima's interest with stuff, why he was doing the things that he was yeah. doing, um, and then why the humans wound up developing their own will because they essentially got ignored. Yeah. It was it was a really cool how they kind of wrapped uh-huh. all that stuff up together at the end. Um it was 
it was a, I was worried that they they were going to struggle a little bit to complete it in a way that was going to be a satisfying ending. Mm-hmm. And I think they ended it the way that they should. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I feel like it was a very satisfying ending. Um, it was sad. Like, it was, I cried a little bit when was. Josh died. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I feel like I, I feel like it was it was the best way to kind of like, and it was where the story like that was Clive's journey. Like he got to do everything that he wanted to do. You know, and granted, he would have liked to have gone back to his friends and to jail and everything like that at the end. But, you know, he knew that that wasn't going to happen. So he was going to make the world that they could all live in. Right. Yeah, but and, fixed, so, and he fixed the blight. I'm assuming he had. He fixed to. the blight, and magic is gone. Right. Yeah. So there's there should be no more icons. There should be no more anything. Um, it should just be the world before, like like it was before Ultima planted the mother crystals and did everything that it did. Right? Yeah. And there had to be a lot of time that passed because at the end you see the book. You see the written book at the end. At one point, this mother goes, "You know, your magic is only in your fairy tales," and so. You have to wonder how much time has passed where all of this has already been forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, probably a couple of generations or something like that. Yeah, it that had point, to be. Right? Um, I don't know. I, I I was really happy with how it all... Like, other than the side quest kind of, like, taking over... The binge. <laughs> at a point there near the end. Like, I think overall, like, everything else was, like, really good as it went from, like, the story all the way through, you know? Um... But going back to some of the things we talked about that we wanted to touch on, um, like the Benedicta and Hugo and Barnabas, Sid, like that whole like love quadrilateral or whatever you want to call it. Who's Barnabas? Barnabas is the is king of Walud. Uh, yeah, yeah, the king of Walud. Um, like that, like Kupka and ben- Benedicta are like these two powerful characters that thought that they were, like, charting their own path and, like, trying to do their own thing, but they were being controlled by, like, everybody else. Oh, yeah. You know, and the, the, the unfortunate thing for Kupka is that he didn't have Sid, who was looking out for him and trying to, like, tell him the error of his ways. Like, Benedicta at least had Sid, who was trying to, like, get her to realize what was happening and that she was just being used, um, you know, but then she was using Kupka. Barnabas was using, is using him after she's gone, you know, by chopping off her head and sending it to her in a box. Do they explain? They don't explain it, but it was, it was him that did it. Yeah. He wanted the reaction. Okay. Because then that was like, I was wondering like who sent, who set up seven? No, I'm positive that it was, I'm positive that it was Barnabas because that's what drove Kupka to do what he wanted him to do, which was go attack uh, Rosaria and hopefully take out or at least attack Clive um, to get Clive to collect more power. Kupka losing his hands was one of the most bad points of the whole show. I was just like, oh, Jesus. He's trying to eat a meal with his little rock hands. (laughs) I'm like, oh, you suck. (laughs) Uh, Well, that was one of the things, too, like, in the fight between in the fight between uh, uh, Ifrit and Titan, like, (laughs) like, because he grows back the hands for that fight. Um, and so then, like, later on, at the end, when Ifrit is like, well, if you can do it, then so can I. And he sucks in the ether and grows the big rock hand and starts <laughs> punches at him. Like, it's just so good. I don't know. Like, I, I, 
there's so many little touches like that where they they like kind of go back to things that popped up before um, or pull things in. I, I just I don't know. I really enjoyed a lot of that. But I think just like those antagonists and having those like levels of things to them. Um, and then, like, you haven't really gotten too much to, like, Barnabas or anything really about him. No, they've just teased him. <clears throat> Although one thing I think they did masterfully was the way they structured the different arcs. Because, like, yeah. first you're battling against uh, uh, Benedicta. And then, like, that arc closes and then the Kupka one springs yeah. up. And then they're, as that's closing, they're teasing Walud. And it's like, oh, that that was really well done. I meant to mention that in the strengths of this game. Yeah. And so... Because that could have gotten modeled. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and really it's, it, it's interesting because... You know, when you get down to it, Barnabas doesn't really have anywhere near the motivations that, like, Kupka or Benedicta has. He just is like, oh, I'm serving Ultima. Like, is Ultima's he, my religion. Is and... he boning Ultima? Because it's that point where they're both nude, and he's with Benedicta, and then she turns into Kupka. And I realize, I'm like, oh, that's that's Ultima. And it turns into his mom. Right! And yeah. I'm just like, I'm just like, wait a <laughs> minute. I'm like... No, it's, I saw that scene. Oh, yeah, it was yeah, very okay. confusing. I'm like, is he having sex with Ultima? <laughs> like, what is happening <laughs> pretty much, here? Pretty much. You know, yeah, he's, he loves his God, apparently. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, really loves him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what was the deal with uh, Annabelle's last child? Like, like, I was confused. Was that child Ultima incarnate? Or, like, there's so, a scene where Dion kills the kid and, like, he just dissipates into dust and then Annabelle kills herself. I'm like, wow, there's a lot to process there. Yeah, so that was the other character I wanted to bring up. Because um, for the longest time, you feel like Annabelle is, like, this... The mastermind? Just Well, not even... Maybe the mastermind, but also just, just this, like, complete backstabby... But really, it's like... Because she says at the beginning of that when she's talking to Clive, is it's like... She thinks Joshua's dead. Clive was never going to be the dominant. So she needed to create another dominant. And like Joshua was so weak. Like this was even when she was alive. But it was like she was trying to align their bloodline with the most powerful ruler. And at that point, she didn't think um, the, uh, the, the Duke of Rosario was Elwin was the dominant ruler. So that's why she was making the deal with Sam Breck. Um, and so then when Joshua died... You know, um, that's when she decided to make to have her other kid, which what is his name? Um, Don't remember. Olivier. Right. Yeah. yeah. Olivier. And so then it's like I, I do think that Olivier was like a manifestation of Ultima. And then that's how Ultima was pulling the strings of San Breck to do all the things that it wanted it to do. Because he needed Bahamut to go nuts. Yeah. 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 And needed like all of the things to happen and like. Because when you look at it, Ultima is basically, since Ultima is moving Barnabas and Barnabas is the one that's moving all of the other pieces, they're the ones that are putting all of the icons in front of Clive so that Clive can gain all their powers yep. and to try to become their, you know, his perfect vessel. It's funny, too, because considering how these icons are supposed to be like the, the most powerful things in the land, virtually all of them are manipulated in some way or another by something else. Like that's mm -hmm. all of them are manipulated. Um, well, the, the I'll people say maybe are, Josh. The yeah. people are. Yeah. Not the icons themselves. The, the icons the themselves. Because we don't really know, like, where that power manifests from and if there's, like, these other beings that are, like, called down into that or how exactly that works. You know, and then Joshua at one point brings up, like, Leviathan the Lost. 
you know, mm-hmm. which is like the one icon that's not represented. Yeah, he's up on the, isn't he up on the mural? He's up on the yeah. mural. And so that's part of the reason why Clive couldn't be the perfect vessel because he doesn't have all the icons because he, there was never, there was not a dominant of Leviathan um, because Leviathan either hasn't chosen a dominant for a long time or whatever. And so then, you know, that's why he, he wouldn't be able to pull in all that power mm-hmm. and survive. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I th- like I said before, I, I feel like all the stuff makes sense together and they did a really good job of putting it all together. Um, you know, there's just those little things here or there that pull it down from being like a masterpiece, you know? Um, and maybe New Game Plus does have like that combat that's a little bit more meaty. I'll let you know. A little bit more beat. I'm going to play through it. On New- I just wanted to give myself more time. It's probably something that I will do like this winter um, or something like that. And this is definitely a game you can pick up and put down. Like that's oh, yeah. the beauty of this one. Maybe yeah. once you've gone through it once, the combat is something you just fall right back into. And again, it really is super similar to how God of War felt to me. Particularly mm-hmm. with the three, the three uh, icons, the yep. three weapons, yep. same kind of thing the rule of threes well that is going to do it for our discussion on final fantasy 16 thank you for hanging in there with us for uh 13 hours of final fantasy one hour for every installment in the mainline franchise we'll be back next month to talk about kingdom hearts stay inside kids